Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Back to the front of the examiner this morning says that um, uh, 2020 was uh, one hell of a record-breaking year with regards to temperatures and a lot of it down to climate change. Last year was Europe's warmest on record by a significant margin, a margin of 1.9 degrees Celsius. Um, and uh, much of that, of course, to do with climate change, it is said. Papers this morning, both the examiner and the Echo pick up on a story that Lana just mentioned there, um, and that is uh, St. Catherine's Ward um, in the grounds of St. Finbar's Hospital. Ten non-compliance issues, three deemed to be critical. And the headline in the Echo this morning says, patient dignity is at risk. And amongst them were be- the bedroom area locked from early morning until 9pm at night. Apparently, um, 21 bed facility. They would have had 17 residents for more than six months there. So the bedroom area locked from early morning till half past nine the day area locked from half past nine until the following morning, deemed to be restrictive practice that wasn't conducive to privacy and dignity. Apparently, all residents required to awake and dress at 9 a.m. in the morning, upstairs for breakfast. The bedroom areas then locked uh, um, and residents were not admitted or permitted to freely access their bedrooms if they wanted or needed an item from their room. They had to seek permission from the staff uh, who then accompanied the resident to unlock the bedroom door and allow the resident access to their room. Uh, The lack of access to bedrooms during the day resulted in residents sleeping in chairs when tired. Uh, In relation to staff, it was found that the uh, the numbers of staff and the skill mix of the staff were not sufficient to meet residents' needs. Very sad, very damning. Um, I would invite anybody that has had an experience, say, for instance, of um, you know, St. Catherine's in the Mercy to get in touch. I won't give out your personal details. You know, for the good and the not-so-good stories, if you like, text 0868-104-106 and uh, email neil at redfm.ie. There are other stories related to health in the papers today and has to do with pregnant teachers. Um, the Minister, Norma Foley, has rejected calls from the unions to allow unvaccinated pregnant teachers to work from home. But she did say that uh, teachers who are pregnant can take pregnancy-related sick leave once their GP or consultant signs off on it. Now, pregnancy itself is not a sickness, of course, and uh, but they're saying that the, she's saying that there could be pregnancy-related illnesses that could be deemed usable with regards to taking time off. So unions are furious that pregnant teachers are told to call in sick. And it's a story that makes many papers today, including, as I say, the Mail and the Independent. But another big um, COVID-related story is Electric Picnic. Uh, The chief medical officer says it should go ahead. Varadkar is saying it should go ahead. In fact, he's he's rowing in on it now. The attorney general might even get involved in this. And one of the papers this morning is saying that uh, that Electric Picnic should actually move venues uh, from County Leash to anywhere else because County Leash County Council have said that they will not reverse the decision, even though Tony Hoolan said he had no problem at all with people going to Electric Picnic if they were outdoors and, and fully vaccinated and what have you. So the Attorney General is now involved to save it. Leo Varadkar has said that he's trying to press uh, for the go-ahead for the festival and he's going to do his best. But um, the Red Tops this morning call it Bally Go Backwards. Uh, because the council have ignored Neffert advice and have killed all festival hopes. Um, 
interestingly, I always amazed people come out and say that they were, you know, that they were really surprised and concerned at the numbers at the All Ireland hurling final on Sunday, and that they were really surprised and concerned at the amount of people who weren't at the match but were still out in Dublin before the match, during the match, after the match, and partying. I mean, what did they expect with regards to an event like that? So, you know, like it's. You can expect these things to happen, that there's going to be an awful lot of people who are going to be out and about. I mean, by and large, the pubs are open uh, and a lot of them are outdoor screens. So you're going to get an awful lot of people gathering. There's another lovely story, gig related, uh, making the echo today. And it's a downtown supplement where they look at the great cork gigs of our time. Um, I was just chatting with Lana. We, we think that it was August 20th, 1991, that Nirvana played Sir Henry's. But they look back at some of the greatest gigs on Leaside over the years and they talk about Kurt Cobain and Nirvana at Henry's they talk about Michael Jackson they talk about Elton John down the marquee they talk about um, Parky Cueve in 2013 when Bruce Springsteen played and Seamus told me this morning extraordinarily because I wasn't at that gig but Seamus was and he said would you believe that he never played the river Um, I'm assuming now you hadn't gone for a wee and you missed it or gone for a hot dog or maybe a candy floss or something like that. Are you sure that you didn't miss the gig? Like that he actually what? Gig. Unbelievable. What? Are you sure you mightn't have popped time. out to take a call or something? <laughs> I said, Are you sure you mightn't have popped out to take a call? No, definitely not. I wouldn't do that on the bus. He didn't play the river. He never played the river. I was very disappointed. Were people shouting up at him to do the river? Um, there I mean, was a the. There was a young crowd up the front and they I don't think they <laughs> respected what they were listening to or understood what they were listening to. But like all the old fogies, we were up the back, we were sitting down and we kind of got, you have to play the river. And <laughs> no, never played it. He never did. Oh my God. Big faux pas from the boss. All right. Uh, Prince also another super duper gig on Lisa. It's a great supplement actually. Worth checking out in this morning's uh, Echo. Knife crime is becoming more and more of a problem in this country with a younger and younger demo. The Mirror this morning says the Gardaí have already seized over a thousand knives this year and nearly 50% of the knives seized in the last 15 years and they look at all of the seizures have been between the ages of 12 and 23. So knife crime is on the increase, a thousand so far uh, this year and um, and that's with a year when people weren't out as much as say last year so that's worrying and the big factor here is that knife crime and knife carrying is something that uh, um, apparently a younger and younger uh, age demo is engaging in. The reality TV show Love Island makes the papers today not not because it's over and not because people you know are looking at it in huge huge numbers it's actually UCC who are using the show um, to showcase toxic behavior and get the conversation going with regards to UCC students. So clearly they think that it's a good example of toxicity and toxic behavior um, with regards to the do's and don'ts in relationships and how you should behave. And then, because there's a lot of lovey-dovey stuff in, in Love Island, but apparently there's research out now saying that the Greeks, Greek men, are better than any other man from any other country apparently and it's because of the food that they eat possibly all that feta I'm sure or but what I'd like to know is how do they know how do they research this like how do they rate men 
in bed. Uh, <laughs> and how do they gather the information? But apparently it's Greek men are the best lovers accordingly. Oh, and I should have mentioned this actually when talking about Nirvana, the front of the 1991 Nevermind album uh, has a naked baby on it. And this is a Lana O'Connor story from yesterday morning as well. But the the little baby has grown up into a 30-year-old young man now, Spencer Eldon. And he's making all of the papers today because he's filed a 2 million euro payout because he regards it as child porn. And you can kind of understand where he's coming from because as a small little baby naked in a pool um, he has no rights whatsoever um, to say that it's permissible or okay for his photograph to be taken so that'll be an interesting one when it comes to court but the papers this morning and I love nostalgia so there is another survey out there this morning with regards to the tunes or the memories or the things we miss from childhood I mentioned tunes apparently because in the top 20 is the excitement as a child we miss the excitement as a child of hearing the chimes of the ice cream van. You know, Mr. Whippy, as we would call it. And I hope to come back to that a little later on this morning because I was telling you about the, the, the little white lies that parents tell children. And one of them was, ah, yeah, that's the ice cream man. That's the Mr. Whippy man. But when you hear him playing the tunes on the van, just think of something you'd say to your child, that means that all of the ice creams are gone. So the little white lies we tell our children a little later on this morning, but some of the other ones include, you know, things we miss from our childhood. The magical feeling of Christmas, not having to work. I suppose you only know that as an adult because as a child you don't know what work is. Not having so many body aches and pains because you could go all day as a child. Being really excited about birthdays as a child, getting loads of Christmas presents, going to the beach or the excitement of it. Apparently there's not as much excitement in adulthood and going to the beach. Getting a good night's sleep. Kids would just conk out um, and not wake till morning. The thrill of getting a new toy. I suppose there's still a bit of a thrill with regards to getting a new gadget, isn't there? Or a new car or booking a holiday. Uh, but the excitement here in the ice cream van. Uh, having no fear whatsoever. Or getting money from the tooth fairy after losing a tooth. Um, and that's just a few of them. There's a lot more besides which you may come back to the course of the morning. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. The Neil Prenderville Show. Okay, in an effort to be and always striving to be fair and balanced to everybody, the story regarding um, Sammy who went to Turkey for uh, different um, medical procedures that resulted then in a tummy tuck. You might you might remember that. I've been engaging back and forth with the clinic and the hospital. In fairness to them. And I, and I know that some of the newspapers also picked up on our story. Uh, the story actually had some clarifications to it afterwards when we eventually did uh, get responses. And I got to see the responses from the clinical team with regards to Sammy and her uh, treatment. But Pureda came back yesterday saying, thank you. We'd like to thank you for giving us the opportunity to correct a number of inaccuracies in Samantha's radio interview on Wednesday of last week. Uh, now, the, the, the interview was printed in some of the, in the papers as well. And I want to be fair to them because I, I, I believe that this actually has more to do with leaving hospital earlier than you should. Um, flying when you don't have really medical authority to fly and the consequences of it then with regards to the surgery that was done. So in fairness to Pareto, they say... Um, we got in touch with you two days prior to the scheduled interview requesting a comment from us and we contacted the surgical team and they issued a statement which was emailed directly. Uh, we chose at the time not to comment prior to the interview with Sammy as we do understand the distress she's experiencing and we did not wish to add to it. 
Uh, we continue to wish her a speedy recovery. Now, if you were following our story, and you might have seen it online as well, some of the, the photographs of the wound area in her stomach. Um, and And... It's not an easy view. Uh, Anyway, Neil stated on the show that no response was forthcoming and it was only after we contacted the station again that this inaccuracy was rectified uh, and it was also incorrectly accredited to us. What they're saying there is that that they did send information, did send emails, which I didn't get, um, and maybe the impression was given that they hadn't sent it, but actually they had sent it and I got it uh, two days later than I should have. Uh, when Sammy arrived in Turkey, she spent a day in the hotel and one full morning was spent carrying out a full battery of tests. Uh, she was not immediately put under anaesthetic, as she claimed. She was mildly sedated for an endoscopy procedure. When the tests showed that the patient was medically unsuitable uh, for the bariatric operation uh, at this time, she was discharged from the hospital and offered a full refund. At the hotel care visit that evening, she mentioned the possibility of a tummy tuck procedure. She was strongly advised against this, but insisted on having a consultation. She went for the consultation with a plastic surgeon who also advised that it would be better to wait until after the bariatric surgery. She was made aware of the risks due to her medical history and was also advised that the recovery time needed for a tummy tuck would be considerably longer. And she was told that it would require an extended stay in Turkey. She opted to proceed with the mini Tommy Tuck and signed all the relevant paperwork and disclaimers. She had the mini Tommy Tuck procedure without complications and was discharged her hotel after two days in hospital. After a small complication came to light, um, I believe, can I just interact, interject there? I think Sammy said at the time it had to do with bleeding. It, I think she said to me on there it might have been internal bleeding. So after a small complication came to light, she was readmitted to the hospital for 24 hours and that issue was addressed. She was again advised to stay for a minimum of three to five days to monitor her healing and recovery. But she did not take this advice and discharged herself from the hospital. She signed a self-discharge form where all risks were outlined and she was advised to seek immediate medical attention on her return from Ireland. No fit to fly certificate was issued by the hospital as she was not fit to fly at this time. The patient had full 24-hour bilingual care for her hospital stay, including private Wi-Fi access to help her stay connected with family in Ireland. She also had an on-call care member team during her hotel stay, as well as daily visits from our care team. As with all the surgical patients, she was supplied with a patient responsibility form, which she signed confirming that all instructions from the surgical team must be strictly followed. Our care team arranged wheelchair assistance for her return journey and she was strongly advised again to seek medical attention on her return home as she had self-discharged too early. Three days after her return to Ireland, we received a message requesting if it was possible for her to swim. She She was advised against this until she fully healed. Within 24 hours, we received a message saying her wound had opened. We'd been in regular contact with her since her return home and as soon as it came to light that she was experiencing an issue, the surgical team were notified. On the request of the surgeon, our care team made every effort to obtain the details of the medical team in Ireland to discuss the situation further. But despite repeated requests, the patient did not seem to want the surgical team in Turkey to engage with the surgical team in Ireland. But we have all communications, signed documents and paperwork to back up all the details and the hospital had full have full copies of her medical records. 
very disappointed with the tone and the calibre of the interview. And despite clarifying a number of points, uh, this interview has now been taken up by the Mail and the Mirror, Sunday World, and we find ourselves in a position of having to yet again request that an accurate account of events be published. Thank you so much, the Parada team. So happy to clarify all of those points on behalf of the Parada team and also to send on these emails and clarify those points so that those that carry the interview, the newspapers, can also do likewise. And again, reiterating, as I said earlier on, uh, for me, when you get more information on a story, sometimes it can clarify things. And I certainly feel that it did clarify it with regards to not taking medical advice and indeed uh, discharging oneself too early from a hospital. And the complications that can result in that not helped by flying in an airplane. Okay. Text 0868104106. We'll pick it up after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Sinead, good morning. Good morning. Hi. This, um, this is a, an assault that happened uh, Sunday evening, wasn't it, while your 10-year-old daughter was out playing? Yes. You didn't see it, though, did you? No, I heard the screaming. Yeah, and I know that your other younger daughter and uh, another girl, a niece also, saw what happened. So what did happen? They did. Um, three girls of similar age approached them and started uh, splashing Fanta at them and it got into my younger daughter's eye and my 10-year-old daughter stood up and asked them to stop and they turned it at her and she put her arm out and one of the girls caught her, turned her to the ground uh, she banged her knees, banged her head off the ground and proceeded to kick her into the back and stamp on her back and while that was happening my youngest child went running, screaming out for help that they're going to kill my sister and it was horrible and I heard the screaming and I walked out and this particular girl ran off and I tried to carry my daughter in home and I I was going to say bizarrely but it's not bizarre because it's happening an awful lot some other child of a similar age was filming all this she was yeah I didn't I wasn't aware of that but I had a feeling because it's something the children around have recently started doing here and I asked I rang the guards they came out I asked them can they have a word and could they please get if there's any recordings have them deleted and that's what they did they called the houses and um, looked at the phone it was recorded and the guards deleted it so on the and basis of the guards seeing it they can't yeah. they can't do anything about seeing what happened they can't do anything no. about the assault except have it deleted yeah because of their age there's no part in the law at all can do anything at all for them similar age to your daughter would be maybe 10 or 11 years old that nothing yeah. can be done legally with regards nothing. to uh, yeah. nothing legally there's nothing in the book at all that he can do or anything he was apologetic and it was unfortunate and I said Grind. I said I have to ring the doctor and I rang the doctor but and had you called an ambulance at this stage I hadn't. I'd called the guards and I called South Dock. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was waiting on South Dock to ring back. The guards came in the meantime. When South Dock rang back, they said they could not look at her or touch her to ring an ambulance that it was protocol. And where was, she lying, where was she lying at this stage? Had she got in home? She was in the kitchen. I had bought her in home, but she couldn't straighten her back up. And I looked at her back. She had a footprint oh. and her knees were scroped and the top part of her back was all red. And the bottom was bruised. And was her hair and pulled I, out? 
that part for hair the top of it yeah, was all oh, mixed between to get her in. She was she got an awful fright. She was pale and she was shivering. Uh, very really shook up shock yeah that's shock no I, I can I can actually concur with what you're saying because I've seen the photographs and there is extensive yeah. bruising all over her body but the shivering and the shaking is just shock at what happened she to her she got an awful fright awful so you eventually called an ambulance and I had to call an ambulance then and they told me not to move her to keep her still and that's what I did and they took three hours to come Three hours. They rang me twice to check in on her, and three hours later they arrived. They apologised and they slided her onto a backboard and wrapped her up and took her off. Wrapped her up and for the wrapped her up wrapped, to stop the shaking. She had to go into a special bag, bean bag thing, and air into it so she couldn't move. Was it? A, was the worry about her spine? It was kicked in it the spine. It was. She's she's hypermobile, so she's fragile enough. Hypermobile is that she can move her joints beyond she, the normal yeah, range. They, yeah, her knees dislocate oh, themselves. They pop in and out, so she suffers enough. And she fell off recently, fell off the go-kart and broke her hand, and the go-kart wasn't even moving. She was just sitting on it. And whatever way she got off, she managed to crack a bone in her hand. So I was up the walls thinking the worst, and, and she couldn't move. She says, Nanny, I heard him break my back. And I'd say it probably sounded like knuckles breaking for her, you know, maybe they just crack. kicked her enough to crack her back to, I don't know, but it's not, it's not cracked, thank God. She's, but she, uh, she was taken to hospital, she, though? She was, yeah. And they done, um, they felt her back and it was her C3 vertebrae and she got kicked right on the bone. So they asked, could they x-ray her? Because they don't like to x-ray children. And I said they could. And they said it's bruised and that uh, she'll be stiff and put her on pain relief for the week and if she gets any tingling in her legs or her hands she just goes straight back in the poor misfortune we just have to wait and see oh my god and stuff settle down that's yeah, so the guards saw the video footage they went to this home or whoever filmed it the most they yeah. can do was delete it Nothing else they because they're under yeah. age. Ye- years okay. and years ago, parents would march that child round to your house to apologise. Oh, absolutely, no. Years ago. While you know. I was waiting for the ambulance, uh, standing outside crying, I had these three particular children laugh at me and I had the two parents in question chatting away as if it was the highlight of their day and I was devastated. I had the seven-year-old asking me was the child going to die. She just got an awful fright. She just couldn't move. Um, she was devastated. Yeah, as if she hasn't enough to be dealing with, because I believe... She hasn't, she, God love her. Yeah. She's limited in what she can do. You know, she plays GA. She used to take two days break after that so she can go to the next session. She needs braces on her arms and stool to help her support the writing. She's up and down to Crumlin for physio and OT. And these people are fully aware of, of this like are you saying to me so, that she may be targeted because of her condition I think she was oh. an easy target last night for a video God that was in it she had a lovely day she watched the GA match at home and they were out playing two small girls and doing plats and these three came along and rooms the day the night today the week they can't go nowhere we're meant to go to photo tomorrow can't take her and come here it, it, does she get a bit of bullying online 
she doesn't. I don't um, have her on it. Her older sister did get a lot of bullying two years ago. And I had to take the phone off my child because it wouldn't stop. I pleaded with her mother to stop it because my daughter was crying. She was told to kill herself. She was told she was fat. She was ugly. She was weird. She was there just do us all a favour and kill herself. Your parents don't love you. And I have it all. And I pleaded, I pleaded with her mother to just tell her to block her, ignore her, don't tell her not to talk to her at all. And I got the answer, Asher, children will be children. No, children won't and be children like, if they're telling a child to go away and kill herself. Nobody loves her. Yeah. No, no, and no, no. She, she was crying into the phone and it was just, her tears were rolling down her face. And she told me that. And uh, her older sister was able to walk with me. And you and read it? I took the phone off of her and that was the end of it. And I I took screenshots and I showed this mother. I said, this is not on, this is not normal behaviour. Like. And no, nah, kids are the kids. They're only words. Get over it. They're only words. They're very dangerous yeah. and powerful words on the wrong hands. Do you powerful. still have those? They, I don't know. Because I took the phone off for a year and I say they're well done. Did you I go to the guardie with those, um, those that trolling no. and that bullying? No. I didn't because I thought if I pleaded with her and when I took the phone off of my own child obviously it's that that she didn't have anything she gets picked on outside a bit alright if they're in the playground these particular children run the other children in the village out of the playground they're very intimidating it's absolutely shocking it never got physical now I can accept words words are dangerous they're harsh their feelings are hurt but the physical side of it and recording it well, this is a phone being used as a weapon in two different ways. Firstly, mm-hmm. with regards to the bullying, the trolling, go away and kill yourself, nobody loves you. That's the using the phone, social media, and the other than recording the assault. You know, with regards to the horrid things that were saying, said messaging, did you tell the school about that? I They don't go to the same school. Okay, but yeah. Okay. So I didn't. Yeah. And I did approach the school, and it's got nothing to do with the school because it's outside the school. Yeah, but they might. There's would no they not be interested? The fact that they need to maybe take a closer, keep a closer eye I on a did, girl who's I been bullied? I did ask, and I even asked the local priest, believe it or not, can you have a word about bullying in the school or whatever? Do you know? I said, you know, I've, I've always thought, I've, like, I have six children, I have three teenagers, and I explained to them, if you can run, run. I said, somebody might hit you, you might push them. I said, they could fall and crack their neck. I said, you're the bad one then. Yeah, I yeah. said, if you can run, run, or scream out for help. And do the I kids said, ask you, why Why are other kids like this? They, they, Like I said, this is the first time I got physical. My daughter asked me this morning, and she promised me they won't hit me again. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't. I can't. I just can't. That's what I mean. I can't. I have no one to turn to. No one can stop this because of their age. What about the community guard? I'm not sure. The guard explained to me in great detail last night that there's absolutely nothing. But did the guard not even do. say anything about the fact that maybe the parents would be prosecutable? I can take civil action if her back was to be broken last night, if I was out of pocket or anything like that medically. I can go and take civil action and put the bill for that as well. So the only and they have option, a yeah. pulse number on us as yeah, well. Yeah. So that's the advice I got if if she happened to be. And broken. do you know if the guard or the guardie said anything to the parents of these girls? Uh, they did. To cop they called on? and said 
they called and said, and had a word with the children and no sooner did the guardie go away the three of them were outside laughing at me crying on the phone to the doctor oh my god it's heartbreaking so really it's is. I, I it's it's a surreal feeling that I can't do anything. Yeah. And I, I know you were curious as to whether or not anybody else might have been through something like this before, and I'm racking my brains to come I've up with other options. I've heard of older children being through it, older teenagers. I've heard it on your show. And, you know, young young boys out at night time getting attacked on the way home. It's, it's horrible. And there's drinking involved. You're talking about 10-year-old girls and 11-year-old girls here. Like, if it's that young... What hope have they got? So, but but pe- children of that age have been prosecuted before. I, I know it was it, it was um, assault causing death and everything, but you would think that there would be some way of putting the fear of God into them to stop, wouldn't you? No, the fear wasn't there last night, and the guard felt that he gave out good enough because he called back down to me. And he said the mother did give out to a blow now. I think she might have had a fright. Maybe. And no sooner did he go around the corner, they were out laughing at me crying. And in 20 minutes after that, when I had to ring the ambulance and whatnot, the two parents were out chin-wagging about whatever. And I was standing outside the window waiting for an ambulance to see if my child's back was broke. Well, the important thing is that you don't engage with the kids because that'll only cause problems for you. No, absolutely not. Yeah, no. yeah. 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 I mean, do you contemplate no. moving or just living with this? I'm not, no, I don't see why I have to move. No, I I'm that, going to get know. onto my cooperative now and, and report it, obviously. It's not it's antisocial, it's the same thing. I want some security that this won't happen. Maybe there, there has to be something in my lease that says this is not on there. Yeah, well, you never know who might be listening who's been through this because um, I, I can't really think of anything else. I mean, you know, you, you could go to the parents. That could cause grief. The community guard, uh, don't engage with the kids. Um, as I say, years and years ago, uh, proper parenting would involve marching the kids down to apologize and promising it would never yeah. happen again. But those days seem to be gone for some people, you know. They're way gone. I, I can't fathom why a child would hurt another child like that. Because they're seeing that. They're seeing those videos all of the time. I, I get them. Kids attacking kids, pulling each other's hair, getting them on the ground, kicking them in the head. It's becoming all too common, you see, and the videos are shared then. They think it's brilliant. They think it's fun. No, I can't fathom it at all. It's horrendous. I can video it as well. I can't see any pleasure in watching another child getting beat up. I can't. Did they share it? I don't know. Okay, okay. I just don't know. And there's no laws there to stop it if it is. If I can get a hold of it, maybe I can do something and report it and whatnot. But <laughs> I'm not on any children's TikTok. Or uh, I know. The most thing. the guard can do is get them to delete it it's all wrong yeah. it really is you have to yeah. live with the consequences and you have a very shook ups, you have a very shook upset daughter I have I have I know it's I know. unfortunate very very young to go through something like this okay let's see if anybody's been through something like this with any words of advice but thanks for taking the call Sinead and, and stay in touch great thank you so much bye thanks bye 
Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. I was checking uh, legal news on online with regards to my conversation there before the break uh, involving 10, perhaps uh, 11-year-olds. And there was a time years back, I think, when the age of criminal responsibility in Ireland was as low as 7. It's 12 now. So they're saying online the general age of criminal responsibility in Ireland is 12 but there is also a provision for 10 and 11 year old children to be charged with serious offences. And the serious offences as examples that's given is murder, manslaughter, rape, aggravated sexual assault. And for 10 year olds or 11 year olds, they could also be tried in the central criminal court. But the age of criminal responsibility in Ireland is 12 years old. Now, I don't think maybe there are other serious offences besides murder, manslaughter, rape, aggravated sexual assault that could be tried in a court and, and, and maybe what happened to her daughter could be one of them. I, I don't know, but the age of criminal responsibility is 12 years of age. Your thoughts on that are welcome. Text 0868104106 and I hope uh, Sinead's uh, daughter makes a full and 100% recovery, the misfortune. I was just thinking actually as well earlier, you know, I was talking about um, the criticism of St. Catherine's Ward on the grounds of St. Finbar's Hospital on the Douglas Road in regards to locking the bedrooms in the morning and not being able to go back into your bedroom. If you want to get something in your bedroom, you need to seek permission and you can only go then uh, with a staff member. I wonder, is that because there's not enough staff? Because another one of the criticisms was in relation to staff that the numbers of staff and the skills of the staff not sufficient to meet. I wonder, do they lock the bedrooms all day long? And then you have people who might want to go back for a sleep or get something from their room who can't. That's why they're sleeping on, um, sleeping in chairs when they're tired. Um, I wonder if it's just because they don't have enough staff to uh, to monitor all of the all of the patients. Uh, that one is actually related to the other. Anyway, text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Um, thank you. I got the set list actually for the Springsteen gig back in two thousand and thirteen. And Seamus is right on the money. He did two encores, right? Did thirty three songs in total, actually. Kieran and West Cork said it was a stunning day at the Springsteen gig and thank God he played for three hours because the bar situation was absolutely chaotic. <laughs> so he did, a, I mean, he did loads of songs. I wouldn't be the biggest um, Springsteen fan, but the ones I recognize would be The Rising, Badlands, Born in the USA, Born to Run, which I think is a great song, Dancing in the Dark, which me personally, it's a great, it was a great floor filler back in the days of gigging but I didn't think it was a great song. Thunder Road, but no, absolutely no river. He never did it. I have no idea why. You would think that would be a staple. Um, Imagine if, you know, we were talking about Rolling Stones gigs yesterday. Like if the Rolling Stones were to do a gig and they didn't do Satisfaction, that would be the equivalent referencing the death of Charlie Watts yesterday at the age of 80. Just just on that subject, I got the most extraordinary, fantastic text in yesterday. I'm a chap by the name, name of Wayne Sheehy, who's a producer and a drummer himself, and he's based down in Bantry. Um, and he told beautiful stories in the text regarding Charlie Watts, who he knew and met on a number of occasions. I thought it was fantastic, so I'd ask to Give him a bell, see if he just chat a little bit on the air. And he joins me by phone, Wayne Sheehy, the drummer. Wayne, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are it's you? It's an incredible story you tell. I mean, uh, firstly, you are a musician yourself and you're a music producer, but a drummer. Um, so how come as a drummer you were mixing in company like the Rolling Stones? Um, 
It depends how long you go. <laughs> I know. I'm saying you're going to be here all morning. So uh, give me yeah, the edited no, version. I, yeah, I've been, I've been, I've been coming for years. So it's all cactus wood news, and then it went from there to. So, uh, look, obsession drumming with everybody from Mary Coughlin. I was with the Flowers for a long time. Andrew Scott, um, you name it. I, I've been very, very, very lucky. And, and it, I ended up, um, I ended up working with a band called Hinterland. Um, Jerry Leonard is now, you probably know from being David Bowie's one-time musical director. Jerry had a band called Hinterland, and um, we had a mutual connection who was doing some work in Ronnie's. Ronnie Wood's house in Clane. It shows you how lucky you can be. And um, Charlie Watts and Simon Kirk were drumming on Ronnie's new album. And they just had the producer, who's Bernard Fowler from the Stones backing band. Bernard had a bit of an issue around some of the, some of the tracks. He wanted a sort of a younger, more energetic feel. So um, they called me and I went down. I was only supposed to do one song. Uh, with Charlie was drumming on four or five, and then Simon Kirk was on the rest. Yeah. You know, Simon Kirk from Bad Company. And um, the next thing is, um, uh, they asked me to stay, or what they asked me to come back. So I came back and I drummed on another two tracks. I ended up drumming on about six or seven tracks on the album. And then obviously, um, um, I went back to my regular work with Hinterland and Juliet Turner and, you know, people like that. Mm. And and then the next thing, um, I came home to my flat in Sandy Mount and um, I, I, there was a telegram and it was from Monroe Sound, which was the Stones office. And I said, would I call uh, the Stones office immediately? So I called the Stones office in London and Sherry Daly, the manager, said, uh, um, hey, Wayne, it's Sherry here. We talked during the making of the album. She said, I just want to ask you, what are you doing for the next two years? And um, and I'd actually just had a call back from um, Ross Hubbard um, from from the Commitments, and they wanted me to go to a callback uh, for the second audition for the film. I don't know what they were thinking. Um, I remember saying to Ross, um, actually, Ross, no, I can't come back for a callback. And he said, nobody turns down Alan Parker. And I said, I said, yes, do for one of the Rolling Stones. <laughs> So I ended up touring with Ronnie, and then of course that was that. It just it just all over the world, and then we ended up of course every town that Ronnie would pull into, you know, Aretha Franklin get up and sing with us. It was a great band. I was a I was like that. I was you know wide eyed and legless. I was here. I was with you know um, the guitarist from Bonnie Raitt and you know Chuck Lavelle from the Stones, the Stones crew. So I became part of what the Stones referred to as the family. And um, and then because there must be a family to last fifty odd years, you know, you know, Neil, they're absolutely gorgeous. They they they're very very strong business people. There's no messing. But if, if you're in, you're in, and they, you know, and then and then consequently, Ronnie Charlie uh, sent me a message. He called me to say, "All right, Wayne, we haven't met yet. I just want to say I love I love what you did on 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 our album. It was great. I can't wait to meet you. You know, all that this." So nice, you know, and, um, and then um, when they made Voodoo Lounge, I was invited to come down, and and then uh, during that, Ronnie was producing, um, uh, it's quite a funny story, uh, Bobby Womack uh, album, so Ronnie said, oh, Wayne, I want you to drum on a Bobby Womack album. What he hadn't told me was he'd also asked Charlie to drum on the same record, so there again, I was drumming, and then Charlie walks in, and he said, I won't repeat the lines, he's 
oh, Christ, it rains here. You don't need me here. And I, I was so mortified. And so I got off drums and I just said, look, uh, look, uh, look, I followed Charlie out because he was really, really angry with Ronnie, not with me. I said, Charlie, please, please go back in and drum in this. And he said, all right, I'll do it for you, but I'm not doing that, that beep. You know, so it was like, it was like this low, like, you know, there's loads of stories. But he was, he was an incredible man. And then, um, then Andrew Strong, who I was a drummer with, uh, was very successful at the time. Very, very successful because he'd had the good sense to break away from the commitments thing and go solo, as yeah. you know. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. And um, I was only very young, but he was doing massive shows. And then he got the opening slot with Voodoo Lounge tour. Voodoo Lounge was obviously a Stones album and a world tour with all the power of. Um, or the power of whatever you call them. The whole stage the presence that setting yeah, was there the for him to use. Just, yeah. yeah, you open for the stars. Yeah. yeah, we did like 140,000 people in um, the, the Czech Olympic Stadium and so massive numbers and we were opening for the whole European tour. So because I knew them all, it was like, it was the most beautiful uh, tour to to be on um, and then Charlie would invite me to sit behind him and then, and what, then no just interesting that he would invite you to sit behind him while he was drumming live with the Stones yeah and I'd have a beer or, and then Keith would be alongside his amp he'd throw a harbour light at me and he went to grab one from the top of his amp or Ronnie would come back and squeeze my cheeks while he wiped his hands on a towel and go you know that's the kind of and then it's, it's you and know, would, it's, would Charlie Watts say to you things like uh, how am I doing is it alright yeah he did Neil uh, uh, and I, I was you know I'm, I was I wouldn't be by now but this is about 20 years ago 15 the last time I was on stage with him and no maybe, well 15 and no actually I'm wrong it was 2011 10 years uh, but it was you know quite shy character um I wouldn't believe it this morning, but I am. And he he um, he he said, "Yeah, what do you reckon? How's it going? Is it, it no? Actually, is it all right?" <laughs> and I said, "Charlie, it's fucking amazing. It's great." And it was one of the it was also one of the shows where they all walked down to the second stage in the round. And then he said, uh, "I always remember when he got up. He said." He tapped his drum stool and he said, sit here when I go down there, keep an eye on me. I actually sat on his drum kit um, when he walked down to the, because the lights are off. I know, I day. guess drummers had like, like maybe lead guitarists have the same, but drummers probably have that bond between them. You know, the driving yeah. force of the band. You're all yeah. united in drumming. But I, I mean, did, so. they partied very hard on those tours, did they or, or what? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the sweets were, yeah. <laughs> there was always a security man on the sweets. Whereas Charlie, Charlie would also give me a watchful eye. He didn't like me smoking, you know. He said, "You gotta give those up, son." And um, he hated me see me smoking. And but he was, uh, he was my greatest fa- fan. He just sang the praises so much. Uh, he opened a lot of doors by his um, endorsement of my playing. And if, and if he acknowledged you as a as a good drummer it probably inspired you to become a better drummer if if he Charlie did. Watts was saying you were yes he did and that's how I ended up working with Bob Diddley and, and Bobby Womack on his own and then that's an amazing you know, story well I was Robert Palmer's drummer for a while as well you know it all came from, <laughs> from Rob didn't he have two drummers at one stage yeah he had two drummers on Addicted to Love didn't he 
That's right. That's right. With power stations, drummer. <laughs> and uh, I forget what the other one was. Yeah. No, he actually, another man who loved, lo- uh, loved, loved, uh, loved drumming. And um, I'm only sorry that Robert died um, uh, within about two months of me touring with him, sadly, in Paris. Oh, my but, God. And but, uh, he was another real sharp dresser, wasn't he? Robert Palmer. Yeah. Yeah, like Charlie. Yeah. The other thing about Charlie is his, drum, his bass drum skin uh, was 14 years. The last time I was talked to him, it was 14 years old. And what the, what the crew had to do, and I knew the crew because they'd been my, my our crew, a lot of them on Ronnie's solo tours, which I'd done quite a few solo tours of Ronnie, uh, Will tours. And um, he, he he hated the skins being changed. So that was a nightmare in case they split, you know? Yeah. And then also he had a slight touch of OCD. So all the nut, wing nuts and everything to be uh, a, a sort of perfectly in line. <laughs> and in his room then, all his shoelaces were wrapped over one to one, one to the other. And his suits were hung and everything. It was absolutely amazing. Oh my God! You were saddened. I wish I had more time. You were saddened then when you hear the heard the death over the last couple of days of your oh, good old drummer like friend. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I hadn't I hadn't heard from him for a year and a half, two years, and uh, oh, except for secondhand messages backwards and forwards. But yeah, I still am. You know, when someone's giving you so much encouragement and. And I genuinely used to look forward to meeting him. It's great company. Isn't yeah, nice I know, I know. And Bantry's home for you now, is it? Yeah, between um, between Bantry and uh, and uh, Glenageary in Dublin, um, I'm married with two kids. Um, so I decided to come off the road. Really, about try and come off the road. It didn't really work. But <laughs> I was I was in Australia a lot with Jeff Martin, and that was there were long hauls with the yeah, young I know the touring and traveling with the yeah. young kids. Listen, yeah, so we ended up. Um, I ended up uh, opening a studio, uh, Ocean Studios Island, down in um, West Cork, well, on the Sheep's Head. Good luck. Yeah, oh, my God. Beautiful spot. Beautiful spot. Listen, congratulations with uh, the studio. Best of luck going forward. And thank you so much for sharing a terrific story, Wayne. I mean, you really, oh. were, you really were mixing with the greats. Great story. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Mind yourself. And, um, yeah. Take, take care, Neil. Bye bye. Wayne Sheehy down Way. Great story. I mean, you could talk to the likes of him for just hours and hours. The places he's been and the people he's met. Lines open at 1850 104 106. You might squeeze a stone song in between now uh, and midday. Bizarrely, just ahead of the news, just very quickly, I also got the, the uh, set list for Bruce Springsteen's gig in Toman Park, which would have been two nights before the Cork gig back in 2013. And would you believe that in Limerick, he played the river? And in Cork, he didn't? Go figure. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Red FM weather. With Casey's Furniture. Celebrating 100 years in business with our biggest ever summer savings. In store and online now. Best of it today. Warm, dry, sunny all day. Certainly 22 degrees, maybe up to 24, possibly a little bit higher. But certainly a hot day, sunny and dry. Tomorrow, Friday, dry, sunny, blue-skied morning. Lots of sunshine across Friday afternoon, but a bit of cloud knocking around. Uh, 22, maybe 23, perhaps 24 tomorrow as well. Saturday, super sunshine all day. Just a great day. 22. 23, 24.
24. Sunday, sunny and dry. Again, similar temperatures. And across the week of next week, certainly 20 to 22 degrees each of those days. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday that I can see sunshine every day. So great today and tomorrow. Great for the weekend. Next week looking good. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Amazing how things take off. We're just talking about gigs on Leaside. And this all came from uh, an Echo supplement today about gigs on Leaside. I mentioned many of them earlier on. Get talking, talking then about, uh, say, for instance, the Springsteen gig. And then Seamus jumped in and said he never played the river. Lovely text here. Say, I listened to another station the other day and they were discussing a bit of trivia of famous singers who refused to sing particularly particular hits. Uh, I remember Elton John hated singing Crocodile Rock and Madonna hated Like a Virgin. Uh, interesting. And then another person says, uh, I am more than certain the reason Springsteen didn't play the river and the Cork gig is because there was a drowning a few nights before and out of respect he scrapped it from the running order. That, that could have been the reason, but why then two nights before the Cork gig did he do it in Limerick? And, there w- and then... There was a number of uh, deaths around that time. There was a teenage boy who drowned in a lake in Strokestown in County Roscommon. Then there was a 12-year-old boy drowned at a County Cork beach. And a 21-year-old woman died in County Limerick. And a 17-year-old boy in County Kildare at the time. So these four deaths were reported. And awful and tragic events. Don't get me wrong. And... They ranged in 12 to 21. They got into difficulty while swimming in rivers and lakes. Apparently, it was very, it was a hot weather period at the time, that July of 2013. So, um, I passed that on. But you'd wonder why would he have played it in, 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 in Limerick and then not played it in Cork because there's only two days between them. But it, it leads me on then to something that we were doing recently. Um, with regards to famous people that people have met. Can I just do some of these texts and then we'll get some calls on it if, if you like. But uh, Claire met Woody Allen at Central Park in New York. Ashling met Robbie Williams on the King's Road in London. And he met uh, and she met Jim Carrey in Camden. Kieran says, Robert Sheehan had the privilege of meeting me. <laughs> I love cork humour. Robert Sheehan had the privilege of meeting me about a year ago at work. He was so happy to meet me. He even asked me for my autograph. <laughs> I met Anton Deck outside a funeral home in Formoy, says Mark. Patsy says, I met the cast of Fair City in the Arlington Hotel on their Christmas night out. We were staying there for the weekend. They were great. Joe met Idris Elba in Dublin a few years back. Lorraine says, I worked in a five-star hotel in Kerry and I brought breakfast to a room. Pierce Brosnan opened the door in navy silk pyjamas. Pierce Brosnan wears PJs. I almost dropped the tray in shock. It didn't help that I was slightly hungover. <laughs> what was the breakfast? Was it a full Irish? Or an omelette? Or kippers? Or muesli, yogurt and fruit? What was going on? Caroline worked in a five-star hotel in London in the 90s. Met lots of celebrities. You would do in a five-star, I suppose. She met Princess Diana, Sean Connery, Mick Jagger, Jackie Stewart, to name a few. The list goes on and on. Fabulous memories. Lovely times. I wonder what five-star that was in London. Would it have been something like Claridge's, I wonder? Sinead said, I once met Angela Lansbury in the phone shop I was working in. She was absolutely lovely. I wish I could have gotten a photograph or autograph. And you know something? She would gladly have given you an autograph and gladly stood in for a selfie. Emer says, Keith Duffy and Brian McFadden in Marbella while on a family holiday. We were coming off the boat trip at the time. Two lovely lads. Annette, I met Fred Astaire many moons ago. 
with his sister Idel. I met them in Eason's in Cork. Really lovely couple, down to earth. Oliver Reed was, I love this, Oliver Reed was another friendly person I met. He was just going to film Gladiator and I wasn't sure who he was at the time. So I said to him that he looked like Bill Sykes from Oliver Twist, the film. He smiled and said thanks. And of course, that's who he was. Well, it wasn't a lovely thing for him just to say thank you and not to say, you know, not to get odd about it, you know. Some of them can. Met Graham Norton and Jeremy Irons in Skibbereen. Colin Meany at the airport once on the same flight as myself. I was young, albeit. And says, uh, won a holiday to Spain to the Nathan Carter experience two years ago. He's one of the nicest men you could ever meet. Here's another one. Giles said, I served John Hurt in a pizzeria years ago and I shampooed Dolores O'Riordan's hair a few years afterwards. They were both so lovely. You shampooed Dolores O'Riordan's hair. Met Charlie from Fair City in Mosney. To be fair, it was probably the best day of my life. And just another few. I served Emma Thompson a hamburger, small chips and a Coke when I worked in Wimpy's Oxford Street. She's never forgotten meeting me. (laughs) Met Sidney Poitier in Florida, my favourite actor, gentleman. Uh, I met Jerry Springer backstage after filming the Jerry Springer show in Connecticut. What a legend. Um, And Maria says, I was on a flight to LA in the 1990s and the Chippendales were on it. I saw George Clooney at the opening of Planet Hollywood in Vegas. Didn't get to meet him, but got a good photo. Met Roy Keane twice through work. Um, once at a local soccer club. And there's reams of these. Um, and one final one. Kira says, Dara O'Brien Bryn used to run the other way when he saw me coming in City Limits, the nightclub, after his weekly comedy gig in the 90s. I'd drunkenly put him on the phone to my bestie, talking Irish. One too many times I did it, I suppose. I <laughs> know. It's all very well chatting with someone who's famous, but asking them to go on the phone to a mate, that's probably just mortifying. Anyway, calls on that and text a lot more besides after the break. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. Started all this actually because Tom Cruise spent uh, Saturday night at an Indian restaurant in Birmingham. He loved the food so much he ordered it twice apparently and then we were chatting because they're filming in that area, the latest Mission Impossible film and we were chatting about uh, celebrities that you have met. Great response. Uh, lots and lots of texts on it and I've read out many of them. But let's get a couple of calls on the air if you don't mind. Trisha, good morning. Morning, thanks for the thanks for the photograph. It looks absolutely great. Jonathan Reese Myers, where? Oh, uh, Torless. You approached him? No, he approached me. <laughs> I love it. This is this is what was it? The train station was it? It was the train station. I, I was up in Wicklow for a few days, so we had to change trains in Torless. Yeah. So we were sitting there anyway, and your man came up and said, "Look, the train will be an hour and a half delayed. Come down from Dublin to something around the track." I was standing there and my grandson Mason was with me and I said, he was sitting on the case and I said, Mason, I sure that's the actor Jonathan Reese Myers. And he goes, Nanny, who's he? I said, fellow with money. And he goes, fellow with money. He said, Nan, no, why would he use Irish Red? I said, no. How old is he? Twelve. <laughs> you think he should have a private jet, maybe? Exactly. He said, Nanny, where have you a helicopter? I said, I don't know. <laughs> No, he, he put me off. He put me off. Looking at him, he glasses on him. First, and I was thinking, no, that's not him. So I walked up and down him, and I got talking to a girl from Limerick, you know. And I said to her, she had to the train is always great. We got chatting, and I said, sure, that's John Timothy Smith. She goes, 
No, hardly. I said, sure. Because he probably said he wouldn't be using Irish Rail either, is it? Well, what's he doing Irish Rail? He wasn't late anyway, no matter what. So, <laughs> we were standing anyway, and next to the daughter rang me, my, my grandson's phone because my own phone was, wouldn't connect to it, whatever. Yeah. And, yeah, and loudspeaker, and she said, Mason Pran, Nanny, and she said, when you delay, I said, look, the trends, trends had laid an hour. She said, look, ma'am, I leave whenever you tell me. So I said, I turned around then, he was going up over the bridge, you know, to go into whatever, he was gone anyway. So we were talking, chatting away to him, I said, she said her husband rang, said, I know, the two of you are making this up, and that's not him at all. So I said, me back turned, I said, here he is, he's coming up. I said, what? He said, here he is, he's coming up. So he tapped, uh, he went over, he said, Nathan? He goes, no, Mason. He said, here, lad, Neil, he handed him a bag of sweets, a plastic bag full of sweets, and cans, and crisps. Yeah, he was out going to the shop. You think that the reason he went over the walkway over the track was to go to the yeah. shop to buy your grandson sweets and a can of coke? Yes, yes, he came back to me. Oh, what a gent. And I said to him, What did he say? Go on, yeah, go on, go on. I said, you, John, to me, He said, Ian. He said, call me Johnny. He said, what's your own name? I said, Trisha. He said, nice to meet you. And I, I said, he said, for no problem. So the girl said, can I have a photograph? I said, don't give her no photograph. I said, shoot it. She's the enemy. We were playing her in the final. <laughs> 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 and then uh, he started that. I just said to my Ian Cock, I go, no, to Cock, he said, I am. He said, I go, no, for a few weeks. He's so, in, how long ago was this? Uh, last week. So he's in Cork now? Yeah, he's in Cork now. So listen to me now, Neil. I hope he's listening. Give him an interview. What? I'm desperate to talk to him, but he's very private. I've tried. Yes, I've, I've tried. You know, Neil, you couldn't, it was like talking to someone that you knew for years. He was sitting down on the floor with two suitcases and he had a guitar. You know, he's a fantastic singer. Didn't know it. You say he had a guitar and a guitar case and he was sitting on it. Yes, he looks he fantastic, doesn't he? Oh I've, my God. I mean, mil- I tell you, no. Be so, so easy to talk to. He was talking to us. I asked him, I said, if you were, he said, I have a child, Trisha, he's four. He said, I have a son. So. Yeah, he was going to cop for a few weeks, he told me. He's I on, love coming to He's back on Lee's side. He's back on home turf at the moment. He's got a fabulous pair of boots on him, great jeans, yeah. um, one of those really funky t shirts, and a fantastic yeah. leather jacket. Oh, what a smell off him. Oh, I want a man. What's the aftershave, do you think? Any idea? I don't know, unbelievable. Anyway, I don't know. He was, he was handsome. Oh, my God. What I tell you, no, he was a gentleman. He, he got was. up off his. Guitar walked across the pedestrian what? walkway, went to the shop, bought sweets, can of coke, yeah. and a bag of crisps for right, your yeah. nephew, was it? Your grandson. My grandson. Oh, Wasn't that the most beautiful thing to do? It was. It was actually beautiful. And he thanked him. And when we got off the train, you know, we were going to, oh, I asked him, do you want to handle the bags on the train? I do two suitcases. <laughs> two suitcases. He said, no, no, your grandson, your grandson. I said, grandson. So I got on the train anyway, and we got off a cock. And no one recognised him. You wouldn't believe it, no. He just walked on and off like an ordinary person. He came outside the door, and uh, we were on one side, Mason was on the other, we, me and Mason, he was on the other side. He was sitting on his case, his cases, and he came over and he said, I'm so glad to meet you, Toby. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, it's just such a beautiful story. You know, such he started off in You know, he was born in Dublin. Uh, okay, I'm listening to you, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was yeah. born in Dublin, and he moved to Cork when he was one. One years old. An incredible guy. Fantastic in the Tudors and lots of great films and movies yeah. and TV series, but a, a fantastic yeah. talent. Absolutely. I yeah. don't know. Well, listen, it's lovely to share it. And because this would have gone unknown, this lovely, kind gesture, very approachable young man and just so lovely to your, to your, to your grandson. Gorgeous. Yeah.
fully appreciated. They really don't. If I ever met them again, I'd swear I'd have a longer chat with them. But I didn't want to annoy him. He leaves on his holidays, you know? Yeah. I didn't want to be annoying. And to come <laughs> over to you at Cork Railway Station then at Kent yeah. and say, I'm so glad that I met you. It's just a lovely yeah. thing. And he said, he said bye, bye, mate. And he said, it was lovely meeting you. <laughs> thanks. And they mate said, thanks, John. He said, no, fam. Great story. Oh, yeah. I won't give up trying to talk to him. I mean, I, you know, like... Back him down. Yeah. Back him. He's in, he's in. Kelly Murphy's in. another fantastic Cork actor, oh, of course, and another yeah. very private guy. Very hard to get to talk to him as well. But there you go. Yeah. You can't get them all. But, and I respect that, if, you know, I respect yeah. that. Do you know what got me thinking when you were on about the hurling over the uh, last week about the famous the people from Cork and you mentioned John Tenise Mears you mentioned Killian Murphy yeah. thinking oh my god that's give me this story I'm so glad you did I love when people share stories like that thank yeah, you so you much Tricia you have to track him down he will be fantastic and I tell you would get in into you never he's know you never know if he's on Lee's side maybe he has the, he as the Yanks would he say he might reach that. out alright I hope I hope he's listening I do reach out because he's a fantastic person I know really if he's listening thanks John for what you've done for Mason well done Thanks, Tricia. Take care of yourself. Thank All the best. Thank you. Great chatter. Tells a great story. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six for all you guys and Jonathan Rees Myers as well. Uh, let's stay with this. Actually, if you don't mind, Michael. Oh, thanks. So you were having dinner. Where was it? I wonder. Well, it's a few years back in December, the the, the children's hospital, Cork Children's Hospital, uh, they take kids to, to see Santa Claus. They do, yeah. And yeah. I was part of the troop, I was, I was part of the mini club of Ireland, doing it. And when we dropped off the kids, Michael Fatley was actually, was one of the vehicles in the the trade, in the, in the, in the, in the line. He brought his, he brought his Bintley. And that was fine. The kids got into the bin clean everything. But when we when we stopped in Fort Island, in Fort Island, we were eating. And I like my grub, so I didn't take much notice of anyone around me when I was eating, as you do, as a big fella like myself. You have and to get stuck in, yeah. Job to be yeah, done, yeah. Job job to be done. And I was I was sitting on my own, and I was just eating away. And next thing I he said, "Excuse me, sir, is there any chance I could sit down here?" And I said, yeah, I walk away. And whenever I looked, whatever way I looked up, there was my sister. I was like, hi. <laughs> Great man. A pure gentleman. Was it a roundy table and you'd have been sharing the table with him, is it? Yeah. This is, it, was just, it, was a, it was a wrong table and he, was just, he, just, he just sat down the table with his wife and chatting away. And what, we were just, what do you talk to Flatley about, like? Well, I told him, give me the keys to the Bintley. <laughs> because I can nearly put three minis into his, his Bintley, the size of my <laughs> mini compared to his Bintley. Because I think... Well, I guess, <laughs> yeah? Because he'd be... I'd say, the likes of Michael Flatley probably be fed up at talking about Riverdance, probably be fed up at talking about Castle Hyde, um, you know, because he's probably constantly been asked about it, you know, probably... He's a, he's a great flute player and stuff, I don't know. But what do you talk to well, him like about? Always, well, like always he asked me, what did I do for a living? And I told, I told him that I'm a fan and stuff and we were chatting about it we were just the most random things but like, like I didn't I didn't throw up the phone and take a picture of him or anything and that's one thing he did like he kind of like he he, he kind of said you, 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 you know who I am I said yeah I know who I am but look I don't, I don't take pictures or anything look it's just <laughs> I would probably break the camera anyway if my face is in it. But um, he probably liked that actually that you didn't kind of drool all no, over him or drive him no. crazy. No, I just we sat down and chatted away. And next thing I he 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 other people came up talking to him and stuff and like he like he was a pure gentleman. He like we, we talked about the Bentley and then he asked me what kind of car I had and 
And then he asked me, oh, what, 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 how do you get on with the passengers? Like the kids that you are taking. And yeah. Just a normal random thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, like, yeah, yeah. What do you drive? Uh, I, had a, I had a 1988 Mini. <laughs> and I, yeah, I'm like a bear in a dog. I'm like a bear in a dog box. <laughs> <laughs> did, you ever, did you ever consider getting something a little bigger? <laughs> I, I got, I've got another. I got a wish mini. <laughs> <laughs> I still have the idiot. I still have the idiot. <laughs> they go forever, don't they? It's just, oh, I, they do, I see the minis do. going around with zero one reg plates, and this looks as if they just came out of the showroom. <laughs> That when, that's, that's the thing we mind we mind our we mind our little cars I know they're little and I know people looking down on top of us but we mind them though. oh you must look so cute in the little mini Chris let's, or Michael let's, let's, let's just let's just say when I'm driving the old mini people just kind of say what the hell is he doing I'm, I'm only about five inches off the floor like so it's just like it's kind what if I go kart <laughs> <laughs> oh my god will you stop you're going to give me a heart attack go on go all the way go back farming good luck <laughs> good luck this is the Neil Prenderville show tweet the show at Neil Red FM 104 to 106 Red FM. So, so far, we've had John Hurt, Sidney Poitier, Graham Norton, Sean Connery, Mick Jagger, Princess Diana, Jackie Stewart, Idris Elba, Anton Deck, Robbie Williams. A lovely photograph from Mavita. Myself and my husband met the amazing Tony Bennett in Central Park in New York. Sent me a photograph on a beautiful sunny day. The great Tony Bennett. My son John met Rod Stewart in uh, Las Vegas in 2018 and Rod Stewart bought drinks for him and his buddy at the time. It looks like as if you met uh, Rod in a casino somewhere over there in Vegas. He probably had a residency there at the time. Bought you drinks? Nice thing to do. Stood in for the selfie and everything. I mean, it's amazing what Cork people, the people that Cork people have met. I love this story, actually, because it's grounded right here in Cork. Anna-Marie, good morning. Hiya. I know you're in pressure, under pressure, so thank you. You grew up with Dennis Irwin, right? I did, yeah. Out in, would that lived be... around the corner from us. We were number two, they were number 20. Is that Balafi Han, then, is it? No, 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 Toker. <laughs> Toker next door, okay. Yeah. Okay, so you grew up together with Dennis Irwin. And your son then um, grew to become a Manchester United fan. Pick up the yeah, story. We were all Man United fans and automatically him then. And I used to tell him that I knew Dennis Irwin and told him where he lived and everything. And he didn't believe me. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Christmas 1994... Um, Dennis was coming through Princess Street. With and at the time now, he'd have been right in the middle, top of the class in the United team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he was um, he was coming towards us with his two sisters. And I started to talk. Where, Patrick Street, was it? No, Princess Street. All right, okay. And uh, <laughs> I started telling them about Philip. And um, I said, Dennis, he didn't believe that. I knew you and all that. And I turned around and there was my Philip and he just, stood looking at him with his mouth wide open. Total shock. <laughs> yeah, and I said, see, I told you now, say hi. And he just goes, hi. <laughs> but um, you've helped me out before regarding Philip with Man United and you got me the, the, um, the remember the programme for, that was signed by Roy Keane. Oh, thank God Liam for Miller that. Filler. I'm delighted. Yeah, yeah, the Liam Miller match. Yeah, I'm delighted that worked yeah, out for you. Yeah. So you probably, said but, to um, Philip after, you probably said to Philip afterwards, what do you think of me now? I think Philip was in too much shock, like. But uh, unfortunately, it was three months later, he passed away then. Oh. But, um, Dennis and his family were oh, so good at that I'm time. I'm so sorry to hear that, Anne-Marie. 
Yeah, plus he got like he that was that was brilliant like that he got that because I remember him telling all his friends and all and uh, you know bragging about it and everything like. He but, must have um, been so proud of you. He was in awe and in shock at meeting his hero, yeah. but so proud that his yeah. mum knew him, grew up with him. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to admit, his um, his favourite was uh, Ryan Giggs. <laughs> you didn't tell Dennis Irwin that though. <laughs> Uh, no, no. <laughs> and uh, and was Philip was he unwell for a while? He was. No, no, it was a freak accident. Oh dear me! I'm so yeah, sorry to yeah. hear that. Your poor misfortune. Yeah, it's. Um, I know. Twenty-seven years now, nearly. Doesn't time fly? Has it or has it gone very slow for you? No, actually, it's, um, you'll be surprised when something significant happens in your life. Um, it seems like you just blink and you're so many years after it like you know I know I didn't I know. think I'd survive 27 minutes not a mind to say 27 years 27 years I know yeah I know you know so I my did my grandson then is Liverpool so I have to second um, no you don't leave him leave him, leave him alone he has good taste <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a, a virtual encyclopedia when it comes to soccer listen he could be doing an awful lot worse and loving yeah. the game of football. And loving the game yeah, of soccer. Yeah, say hi to him. Jack O'Brien is his name. He started secondary school yesterday. Morning, Jack. Morning, Jack. All right. Listen, Anna-Marie, lovely story. Thank you so much for All sharing. Right. Gorgeous All right. story. All right. Thanks a million. All the best. Take care. Gina standing Bye. by. I want to talk to Chris because he gate-crashed Woody Harrelson's birthday party, apparently. Chris! How are you, Neil? How are you? Good morning. <laughs> where, where was that? We were in Knightsbridge. Myself, Sandy Stack, Lorraine Quinn... Um, of old we were in uh, in London partying and um, we went into this club on nice, in Knightsbridge and uh, the entrance was like just blown away it was completely glass entrance with a bridge a, a glass bridge fountains and river the whole lot very very posh so we were langers we didn't know where we were and uh, <laughs> and we went anyway and uh, Sandy's married to an Iraqi Arab and a uh, lovely guy and uh, he, so he tipped, we were blocked from entering the party, private party, sorry, private party. And uh, Kameh tipped your man heavy and said, uh, uh, when that table comes free, we'll put a bottle of bubbly on it, paid him for it. Now. So within seconds, we were in, right? <laughs> and Money talks. Yeah, Sandy Stack being Sandy, so went over to Woody and sure, I clever like long lost buddies. He was, all, he was, shall we just say, he was, he was enjoying himself immensely. <laughs> And uh, she went out, so we, were, uh, we were sitting next to him, talking to him. Now, I was a bit too far gone to even talk, so uh, I just sat there. For once, I kept my mouth shut, which is a rare event, you know? So, and, but it was, it was, um, it was, it was just like, like, we were all his friends, and all I could see was cheers, and I couldn't take the man serious, you know? <laughs> You and saw the character that he played in the bar and cheers. I met Sean Connery in Holmes Race in London. That was our head office with Tim Pan Louis down Fulham Road, right? Yeah. And Jason Connery had just been recording Robin of Sherwood through BBC Bristol. And we had the contract to feed him all the crew, lunch and breakfast and dinner, the whole lot. It's a contract job, right? So uh, Jason, taking after his father, would eat breakfast, lunch and dinner in Tim Pan Louis. In other words, he wouldn't spend the right dime of his own time, right? <laughs> So, so uh, every, all the rest would come occasionally, but he came every day for when, three meals a day. Right? Was it free? Oh, yeah, that's, on account that's, time. Right? That's why he kept coming back. That's why he kept coming back. <laughs> so with that in there, I was down in the head office, and um, Sean Connery was a member of the Homes Place Health Club, which was probably the only place in London at the time with Salk Engine that had a, an indoor gym and an indoor swimming pool. 
So with that, in I walked for our, our monthly meeting, and Jay said, "Hi, Chris, how are you? How's this? How's that? How's the other thing, right?" And we were, and he said, "Oh, this is my father, uh, Sean. This is Chris from Timbalahite." And he turned to me, right? And with that Scottish deep voice, he said, Chris, pleased to meet you, you know. And I could tell you, Neil, I, 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 I was just awestruck. I nearly wet myself. I couldn't speak. I couldn't, I couldn't, even, I couldn't even reply to the man. I what? barely shook his hand and walked on. Did he give off this kind of awe, oh, you know, this oh. presence? Can you do the Sean Connery accent? Can the you Sean, I, Sean Connery. Or Sean yeah. Connery. And he, uh, pleased to meet you, right? Pleased to meet I you, Chris. I just went to bits. I was I could have been picked up off the floor. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I don't mind admitting this. He <laughs> blew me away. But there was other stories as well of uh, when boys on had their farewell, 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 farewell gig. <laughs> and uh, we were up in Hayfield Manor and uh, and, and uh, Dusty as they call him, Duffy was uh, bored so he said come on we'll go back down town so I rang a couple of friends of mine in a certain pub in a certain part of Cork City I said any chance we get in there slate oh yeah come on down you're joking I said I'm not joking we'll be down in 10 minutes so we got into the big jeep and, uh, from here from there and started cruising down past the <laughs> and um, Dusty said uh, Dusty was out the window waving and shouting at the girls and greeting everybody and and I said to the driver, any chance you hurry up there? He says, oh, you're not for a bloody hurry. I said, no, but like the girls are catching up with the Jeep. There was a stream of young ladies chasing the Jeep down. Chasing Keith Duffy down Washington Street. Yeah. <laughs> and in fairness to Duffy, no, in fairness, I take my hat off to him. I said, in fairness, no, I said, Joe, you're very gracious with the fans. I said, you, you've been speaking, trunk, signing autographs, giving them time. He said, well, you know, like, you can't sing, you can't dance, you've got to do something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and, and never mind, then I, 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 I had a, you ever heard, I met a fellow, Jim Lockhart, and he was famous altogether. <laughs> he was the most famous one of all, you know what I mean? We shared a host, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> well, you shared it, I was never there. <laughs> anyway, That's I why know. I loved that arrangement, actually. It was like my own. The only time I ever saw you, maybe once a week when you were ironing five or six shirts. <laughs> That's about it, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't forget the way that's the sun. Oh, I loved that car. It leaked. <laughs> it leaked from head to toe. Oh, my God, I love those stories. Well, done. you should be doing stand-up comedy. Lovely stories. Thanks for sharing, pal. We'll catch up soon. All right, bye, bye, bye. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, I just love those stories. I love that. And I love the Dennis Irwin story because um, I remember people still don't believe me. When I when I lived in Canada years and years ago, I used to frequent one particular bar where a lot of people from radio and television used to hang out. The reason I used to go there was because I was desperate trying to get work in radio at the time. It was very hard. Eventually did, but it was uh, tough. And I used to hang around. I used to scald people who worked in the industry. But it also meant that people in television came in there. And a lot of the riggers came in and the people who were setting up films and the people working on scenes and things. And they all used to hang out there and we used to drink bottles of Canadian beer. Um, and uh, one particular day, the crew were in from, uh, what, is it four, four Weddings and a Funeral? No, it's Four Weddings and a Funeral, Tom Selleck movie. Wasn't that what it was? Things, what, things, no, it wasn't Top 4. It was um, Three Men and a Baby. Yes, thank you. Three Men and a Baby. So my claim to fame, and to this day nobody believes me because there was no mobile phones around at the same time, but I stood in the same circle of people, um, stood in the same circle of people drinking cold beer and amongst us was Tom Selleck. Uh, so I technically had a beer with Tom Selleck. I know I'm stretching a little bit, um, but nobody would believe me for years and years. Of course, I, I outdid that then, of course by having um, uh, an opportunity to 
to sit and chat um, with uh, James Bond. That would be a hard one to beat now, wouldn't it? Daniel Craig, myself and Daniel Craig just chatting about everything and anything but movies. Keep those stories coming. Text 0868104106. Anyway, back to the phone lines we go. Gina. Hi, Neil. How are you? Which one, which one is the kind of standoffish one? I always get confused. Is it Kate Blanchett or is it um, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow? Kate Blanchett for us it was. Yeah, because I, uh, yeah, I, I know that Gwyneth Paltrow is a bit strange, I'm told. But you met, who did you meet? You met her and also... Oh, we met Kate yeah, Kate Blanchett and Robert Redford. Oh my God! In yeah. Australia, was it? Yeah, in 2015, we were staying in the Sir Stamford Hotel at Circular Quay, and we were sitting in the foyer one day, and there was lots of people around, busy with makeup brushes and microphones and the whole lot. And we were just mind your own business, and we went up to our room. And as I was coming down in the lift, I was making a call to home and there was a lady in the lift and she had the belt with all the brushes and the makeup. And I said, anyone, I said, you're filming. And she said, yeah, I said, anyone I know. <laughs> and she said, Robert Redford and Kate Blanchett. And I went, what? And she said, look, you know, we're keeping it quiet. <laughs> and I went straight upstairs to my sister and I said, you just won't believe who's staying, who's filming in the hotel. So all the merciful shock we got and went out that night. And as we were coming in, they were still there. It was late filming. And we sat around and we were waiting and waiting. And um, I said to my sister, if if they come out, you know, will we ask for a photograph? And she said, yeah, I do. And I said, what will I say? And she said, well, you'll have to address him as Mr. Redford. (laughs) So he came out and I said, excuse me. I said, Mr. Redford, I said, "Um, any chance for a photo? And he said, not a problem. And two of us went over, put our arms around him. He was wearing the black pants, the white shirt, the braces, and uh, got our photograph taken. And off he went up the lift. And then um, a few minutes later, Kate Blanchett came out. I said, Miss Blanchett, any chance of a photograph? She said, no. She said, I'm in costume. Sorry. What what would that matter? Would that matter, the the costume? uh, Would there be some kind of a clause or something? No. Maybe I suppose they weren't going to leak any of the... Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you understand the reason she said oh, no? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. And as she got into the lift then, um, I said, um, I, I said, I loved you in uh, Veronica Gearin. <laughs> and she turned around and she looked at me with a big surprise on her face, I suppose, all the way in Sydney and me saying about Veronica Gearin. And she said, oh, thank you. And off she went. She has a beautiful smile, doesn't she? Oh, she was beautiful. And you know, Robert Redford has gotten old, but he's still still beautiful. I 100% agree with that. The guy, that yeah. guy is just handsome. Never mind the fact that oh, he was yeah. he's a fantastic, was he now, 85? Yeah, he's 85. Yeah. I mean, of course, way back with regards to his, uh, his, his movie achievements. But they used to say years ago, mothers used to say to their daughters, you know, make sure you look a better, when you brush your hair or put on a better shirt, you might meet Robert yeah. Redford. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I forgot to say there when I was on earlier um, to the producer, um, Dennis Quaid was there as well. He was filming. Dennis Quaid, yeah. Know him as well. I saw that morning he was just came into the hotel. He was wearing sunglasses and off he went up onto the lift. But but do you you still, moving quickly along back to Robert Redford, do you still have the Robert Redford photograph? I sure do. I think my sister has it. I can, I can... 
root it out and send it into you. Oh, that would be terrific, Gina. It really would. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. great yeah. story to meet the Don't great Robert and to be and to be so approachable. In fairness to him. Oh, there wasn't a bother, not a bother. Whereas with her, she just she just wanted to go about her business and you know. For whatever reason, perhaps it was the costume, yeah. perhaps it was the photograph of a costume about a movie that hadn't been released. I don't know, but that's what happened nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Great stories. No Absolutely love them. Cheers. Take care of yourself. Uh, how am I doing? Trevor? Good. You, you, Neil. How are you doing, my man? You at the time were uh, working in a hotel in Port Leash, is it? Correct. And, and uh, that's where you met the great Georgie Best? Correct, yes. Yeah. Okay. What was the backstory to it? Uh, it was just about the 2nd of January 1970 and we were snowbound. You couldn't get it past the hotel because there were snowdrifts and this guy checked in. Now, I know nothing about sport. I still don't. If you told me that Cork were playing on Sunday, I'd have to ask you what were they playing. <laughs> Wouldn't be too far so, behind you most of the time myself, but anyway. I just find sport boring and I know nobody in the sport I don't want to know. But anyway, this guy checked in and he had his dinner and he was into the bar for it. He was having a pint, so I was passing in and out. And eventually I said hello to him and he said hello to me and I stopped talking to him. And he said, can you have a drink in Judy? I said, I can. So he bought me a pint and I said to him, are you a commercial traveller? He said, no, I'm... I'm I'm a professional footballer. Oh, says I are, yeah. And I was trying to think, like, you know, who the fuck could he be playing for? So I said, do you play for that crowd in Dublin? I said, Shamrock Rovers. No, he says, I play for Manchester United. <laughs> oh, says I, who, who are they? Ah, you didn't say. What are you talking about? This, look, this now was back in 1970. I mean, you see it in the papers. No, there was no phones or nothing. Else. I knew nothing about But sure everybody would have known who Manchester United were. It's like knowing your mother's I name. I knew nothing about them. I couldn't even tell you the name of the Cork team. <coughs> so anyway, <coughs> he was trying to explain to me who they were, and then it dawned on me. I said, were they the crowd that c- killed in the plane crash there <coughs> a few years ago? And he said they were. That's the Busby so, Babes, yeah. Okay, you know something anyway. <coughs> so we we were chatting, we, we were telling each other jokes, and I had come from the north <laughs> of Ireland from work, and we knew a few people in common, and... We had a great night. I mean, we didn't talk about soccer because I knew nothing about soccer, but we had lots to talk about. And we had about seven or eight pints and we went down, shot arms around each other's shoulders down the corridor going to bed, <laughs> singing and shouting. And he went to bed and I went to bed in the following morning, met him for breakfast. <clears throat> and I shook hands with him and he said, I'll be back again. So he had a great night. But I left shortly after that. Go away. And did you take an interest in him after that then in his career? And what, what happened? Nah. Not really, no, not really. Yeah. He was just a nice guy. Yeah, I found him grand. He was, you know, the way you meet some people, you click with them, some people you don't. I clicked with him and we had a grand time. Apparently, that was the case with George Best. He was just a lovable, lovable man. He but was, he had, yeah. But he had his I, I, demons I, 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 and his tragedies, you know, unfortunately. I'd say he had no demons at that stage. Maybe it was inside him, but, you know, he was just an arty bloke like me, liked his few pints and a bit of crack. Yeah, from 63 to 74, best played with Manchester United. He uh, had 361 appearances. Four years after you met him, he continues to play with Man United. He's called 137 goals. Thank you, Seamus. Amazing guy. And at one stage, from, yeah, and at one stage, around about the mid-70s, he actually made three appearances for Cork Celtic. You probably don't know who they were, do you? I know who they are. They just out in Florida. <laughs> no, that was Cork Hibbs. Was that Cork Hibbs? Oh, sorry. Celtic, Celtic played in Turner's Cross and Hibbs played uh, right. in, in, um, uh, up in, in uh, Flower Lodge. Right, right. 
that to tell you no homage I know there in fact go. my grandson a few years ago was watching a match and said soccer match television and I sat down with him just to show a bit of interest he liked soccer and I was half reading the paper and they said, I said why did the ref say that the match was getting very messy I said granddad that's the name of one of the players <laughs> oh, <'cause I'm> sorry. <laughs> It's the world of comedians this morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go on away. Great story. Thanks okay. to Sherry Trevor. Take okay. care. Bye, Can I get one in here? Do I have an eye break? Get one in here. And I'll grand a while. Hang in there. Lisa. <laughs> Good morning, Neil. This is Lisa McSweeney. Lovely show. Neil, you. I work in the Cork University Hospital. And at the time, I was working on the children's ward. And I'm still working in the hospital. And I was working in the children's ward. And, um, of course, there was fierce excitement on the ward. Jeremy Irons was on the ward. You know, Jeremy Irons to me meant nothing because, I, I, you know, I didn't follow him. So anyway, I was giving um, out the breakfast to the children and I knocked at the door and he was standing at the sink half naked, shaving himself. <laughs> so I said, good morning. Don't give away too much personal details about <laughs> Jeremy Irons' hospital stay. <laughs> so I said, good morning. I said, I'm just here to give your child breakfast, so which I did. So I said, would you like breakfast? So he said, oh, he's like, love it. He said, would you give me tea and two slices of toast? So I said, of course I will. So I bought it into him anyway. And uh, very, very, very friendly, very, you know, chatty and spoke away to me, asked me how long was I in the hospital. Handsome, tall man, great voice. Yeah. Beautiful man. Absolutely beautiful man. At the time I was there 20 years. Now I'm there 31 years. And um, so later on that evening, his wife, Sinead Cusack, came in. And I was giving out again because it was my long shift on the weekend, and I was giving out the, I was giving, doing the uh, the teas. So when she popped out, and she said, "Oh my God!" She said, "I do anything for a sausage out of that box." <laughs> of course, I said, "I give it to you." And again, lovely people. Uh, they were in West Cork. One of their children had. All right, I won't go into too much detail with regards to family yeah. matters, but they were yeah, gorgeous yeah. to so, meet, uh, and you fed them well. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely lovely to meet him, and we've met lovely people. You know, a lot of you must you must have met Roy Keane in and out of that hospital. He's into the I kids visiting all of the time. Yeah, lovely guy, yeah. yeah, beautiful guy. And actually, yourself was you were sitting outside my kitchen door, and the reception girls were saying to me, "Go out to him, go to him, and say hello to him, say hello to him." But I think at the time you were a bit stressed, so I said I'd leave you alone. I wonder what I was doing there. You were in the Demandwe unit. Isn't, oh, that's my feckin' blood stuff that's going on. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. You were outside, sitting outside the door, and I wanted to go over and chat to you, but I think you were a bit stressed and a bit nervous, so I said, oh, no. Yeah, I, I was probably alone. having one of those procedures that I have to have done for the whatever's yeah, going on yeah. inside of me. But all, all is good. You should have said hello, but I wouldn't be in any way the same league because the likes of Jeremy Orange, Sinead Cusick, or Roy Keane. No, sorry. Well, sure, I know. I know, yeah. But still, it's, um, you know, it was lovely to meet them and it's lovely to meet all the famous people that come through the hospital. You know, everybody's obviously polite to all of them, you know, no matter whether you're housekeeping or catering or, you know, we've met a lot of people. A lot of people come And you know something? Door. You're meeting an awful lot of people who are in there doing good charitable things that we never hear about, you know? Ah, uh, sure, I know. But you look, you know, For everybody is nice to us as well. And as I say, I've been there a long time, coming up to retirement now shortly. So, um, yeah, it's lovely to look back and to, and to think of all the people that I have met going through the years. OK, listen, Lisa, yeah. I'd love to send out some Oak Fire pizza to you and some of your colleagues this Friday. Would it be OK with that? Cause oh, just, lovely to the demand we unit. We'd really appreciate it. I think it. it'd be a lovely thing to do for you and all of the working, all of the working staff in your department. All right. Oh, lovely. Thank you, Nick. Okay, stay on the phone there and we get some contact details. Lovely chatting with you, Lisa. All the best. Cheers.
Take care. Um, yesterday I was actually up in um, the Montanati Hotel. I was up visiting the gardens because I'll be chatting with Dermot Gavin a little later on. And I have to apologise because apparently my wife told me that on the way out we had lunch. Some lady who was sitting down having lunch said hello to me um, and I didn't hear her. I honestly did not hear her and uh, I don't want it to come across as if I was ignoring you or anything like that. Because I'd always stop and chat and I love chatting with people. Uh, but I didn't hear you, so my apologies if, if you're listening. Perhaps you are, perhaps you're not. But if you said hello to me yesterday and I didn't respond, it wasn't that I was being rude. I just literally didn't hear you. My apologies. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Okay, the famous people you've met in your life. Text 0868104106. Just a fast one this side of, uh, of 11. John, morning. No, ain't happening on line three. John, can you hear me? No, he's not there. Uh, my beautiful mam was in Marymount in September 2015 and the Thursday before she passed away, Roy Keane and Martin O'Neill came in to visit. They were absolutely fantastic. They chatted to everyone, posed for photographs, nothing was too much trouble. There's another funny one here. I was in the same jacuzzi as Mary Harney in the hotel in Blarney. That's my claim to fame, to see. Thank you for those. Keep them coming. Um, lots of other stuff between now and midday. I want to just uh, chat a little later on with um, uh, one or two different people and also update with another couple of uh, super people who have been on the air in the past and I want to tell you more about that after 11 this morning but lots on communions as well and if I get to read the text out I will uh, sometime between now and midday with regards to who is having communions and who is, isn't but thank you to uh, who was it sent me this let me have a look here and see thank you uh, to um uh, Denise, because she was talking about her own daughter's communion and the school regularly emailing them with regards to the fact that they shouldn't be buying clothes or making any plans, etc., etc. But what she did say, send me is all of the letters that were sent to the principal of her school over the past six months by um, the Bishop of Cloyne, uh, Bishop Crean, um, keeping them informed, you know, constantly talking about that it had to be delayed, it had to be delayed, do not, do not, do not. Um, so in spite of some schools and indeed some parishes getting on with communions and confirmations, even right up to, say, for instance, the back end of July, he was still sending out letters along the lines of religious ceremonies, baptisms, first holy communions, confirmations should not take place at this time. Deeply disappointed for those who planned it for July. Uh, those celebrations will now be, need to be deferred until gu- further guidance and things like that. So uh, I just want to say it's not as if the letters weren't going out uh, from the uh, from the, the bishop. They were, certainly with regards to the, the rest of um, the county. As to the city, um, not so sure, but imagine the same kind of letters went out. I just haven't seen them. Okay, just give me about 30 seconds if you don't mind, because um, Richard is on one now. Richard. Hello. The, a very shortened version. You met Joan Baez. That's right. I met Joan Baez and her mother, actually. Where was that? Now, well, I'll tell you the story. In, in, sometime in the 1980s, early 1980s, I sent a song to Joan Baez to see if she would take it. And um, I got a letter back from her mother saying that she was working abroad, but that she would pass the letter on to Joan's agent. How long ago was that? In the 1980s. Okay, 1980s. apologies. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, uh, uh, the agent contacted me then to tell me that Joan wasn't accepting any material at that time. She was using all of her own stuff. So I sent a letter to the mother again to thank her. And I got a letter back from her mother uh, saying that she was very impressed. That they usually didn't get any thanks. They were usually getting begging letters. So, um, we, we kept corresponding, so I was corresponding with Joan Baez Sr. for years. Then, uh, later on, 
there was a concert in the National Concert Hall in Dublin where uh, Joan was singing and her mother was present. So I brought a letter of, that I had received from Joan Baez Sr. with me and I went to the desk and I asked him, could I ever see Joan and her mother uh, during the interval or at the end of the show? So uh, they took the letter and at the end of the show I came back and uh, I told them who I was and uh, they gave me um, a, a, a porter or whatever and he took the letter and he went up backstage with the letter held up like a sword in his hand passing all the other fans and saying family, family. <laughs> so I got in and I did meet Joan and Joan Baez Sr. I can't remember what we said but we did meet. I did meet Joan again sometime later in Vicar Street in Dublin for a moment. But I have here in front of me now, for instance, a card that I received from Joan Baez Sr. Of course, Joan Baez Sr. has died now. She was over 100 when she died. She was a lovely woman. But on the card, this is what she has. Hello and Merry Xmas, Richard. I hope you... Your year will be filled with the strength of tigers. With love, Joan. And she gave me a beautiful calendar of tigers. Lovely, so that's it. Lovely story. Thanks for sharing it. The great uh, folk singer, Joan Baez, and her mum. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. Cork's Red FM, officially Ireland's music station of the year. Keep those texts coming. Great stories from people who've met people in their lives that were famous. Uh, I love these ones. I don't know whether I get to speak to some of the chaps who sent in these, but Andreas says, I served Graham Norton in a sandwich bar I worked in. Uh, He queued up during lunchtime rush and got a ham and cheese toasty. (laughs) Myself and my friend Sean, I met Colin Farrell when he was filming, long before camera phones had any kind of good quality. So we got the most pixelated phone call ever. Anyway, keep those coming. Text 0868104106. In a little while, I'll talk to the great Dennis O'Callaghan. Do you remember I spoke to Dennis before? He sings. Uh, and he loves going around the country and was himself a fine road bowler. Um, he's actually doing a walk at the moment over the five days this week. He's doing 40 kilometers, 87 and a half years old now. And he's uh, walking every day to raise funds uh, for uh, Marymount Hospice. So I'll have a lovely chat with him. We might even get a bar or two of a song out of him. We spoke to him uh, some months back uh, because he was down in a shop in Little Island and the lads down there called me and said, you need to talk to this guy, Dennis. He is such a character. He's got like, I don't know, 250, 300 songs. He's got an incredible repertoire of songs and knows all of the lines of the songs. Absolutely incredible guy and a great storyteller. And he has a GoFundMe page up at the moment trying to raise as much money as he can for Marymount. So more on that a little later on. But just on the topic of GoFundMe, um, can I just, um, with regards to the cat story coming back from Vietnam. Gentleman behind that has been in touch um, and ha- has been listening, of course, and is, is aware of a lot of support for his GoFundMe, but also people who are 
you know, somewhat more critical of the amount of money to bring a, a cat back from a foreign country. And he has, he said that he doesn't want his name on air anymore. Uh, and he doesn't want me to refer to the GoFundMe page or the GoFundMe anymore. But he was making some points um, off air with emails back and forth that I had missed out on some of the clarifications that he had been sending. So, okay, I, I so I'm not going to read out any more of, of the texts on this. And, and I know, I know that social media is a very different world to on-air radio. I have somewhat more control, a lot more control than you can control people on, on social media. But he was saying that he's getting, you know, some grief on, on social media from people uh, and it's upsetting. And uh, he, he wants to draw a line under all of that. So that's very unfortunate if there's grief or negativity or criticism uh, on social media because those that gave the money to the GoFundMe that's their own money. They can do with as they please. And if they want to help to do what he's hoping to do, that's their business and good luck to them. All right. So for the rest of us then who haven't donated, of course, um, but I think he was also making the point that maybe I wasn't as balanced or as fair as I could have been. I, I find that unfortunate because I rebutted every single criticism yesterday um, and I really went as far as I could and beyond, I believe, in trying to be fair and balanced to all concerned. And him included, but some of the points that he asked um, that I that I would clarify was uh, were the following. He says that he will be donating to an animal charity, whatever is left over. Uh, he reminded me that the cost is not ten thousand to get home with the cat; it's approximately seven thousand for the two of them. Um, and many GoFundMe pages regularly surpass the target. Uh, and he said that he will make a donation to a size a sizable donation to an animal charity. And he was telling the lads here to make sure that you let Neil know this. And I'm happy to pass this information on. He said, if people want to cap the page, he says, I will organize to do that. No problem. And he has capped it now at 10,000 in fairness. He says that everyone is entitled to their opinion, but it's not his fault that it exploded overnight due to the various media interest in the story. By the time the medical tests are done and it's time to fly home, it's very possible that the costs will continue to increase. And that's the reason it hadn't been capped. It has now, though, Uh, and he thanks everyone for donating again. And he says donations came from all around the world, not just Cork. He says the whole city that he's in is under total curfew and there is no work available whatsoever. Um, And that um, with regards to online teaching, people don't understand how difficult it is where he is. He says um, and has sent me photographs of the armed forces rolling into the city a few days ago to basically enforce martial law. Uh, And then because we had been asking about whether we could have helped back in the time where the company that he was working for weren't paying him. Um, He sent me a copy of the uh, letter that he got from the school that he was working for and it says, we're unable to guarantee any form of paid work until at least early 2022. As a result, we will have to withdraw our our formal offer. Um, But he was saying that yesterday I didn't give out the full facts and I didn't mention that uh, the the reason that uh, he couldn't give me the information regarding his school was because it would break a confidentiality clause in his contract and that the money they owe him uh, would be forfeited. And that's why he couldn't give information. But he was shocked at some of the some of the comments that people were making with regards to um, the scenario he finds himself in. He says that he will be paying it forward a sizable donation to an animal rescue center when he does get back. So that's as much I have to say. Um, he has. Um, capped the fund now at 10,000 uh, and want again to thank everybody who contributed and said that it will help him and his cat 100% to get home. More than that, I can't tell you. Uh, I leave it at that. Um, wish all concerned well. There's a lot of other back and forth, actually, which I won't go into, um, but he has uh, said that uh, he wants to draw a line under it and 
if he needs to take legal advice on it, he says he will do that too. But I wanted to clarify some of the points that he said that I didn't make. I, I, I think I made a lot of them yesterday as much as I could. And the ones that I didn't know hope have corrected all of that now. So at least... I can say that we've been fair and balanced to all concerned. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Text 0868104106. We'll move on. Back after these. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Darren Gavin comes into the studio like a hurricane and we're off already before we even open the mics. <laughs> Talking about fish restaurants and Port McGee and balanced skellies and stuff like that. I bought a couple of your trolls actually for the garden in Port McGee. Good trolls, aren't they? They haven't Broken yet? I, the nicest thing about them is the presentation box. You know that yellow box that they come in. Uh, they're, yeah, they're yeah. You don't want to open and take them out of the no, box at all. No. And lovely shiny wooden handles. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They won't give me green fingers though. You know why? I, 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 I'm always bothered about people like you, right? Because years back on a sunny day, I had um, Claude McKenna in the back garden oh, yeah, for, yeah, a, yeah, yeah, for yeah. in the back garden for a, for a barbecue, and I yeah. made a balls of it. So I'm never inviting a, a chef back into my house again, and I would never invite a gardener into my back garden because you'd be looking at it critical. No, I don't. You would? No, no, no. Those days are gone. Uh, anything goes in gardening now. We're away from the tyranny of perfection in gardens because it doesn't do much good for the I feel alright though because it's far from perfect. And sometimes the weeds are the most productive things for the wildlife so the amount of pollen that a dandelion will produce uh, to feed the bees I to know, provide nectar. I know, you much, guys much are better. telling us we should be wilding but it yeah. just looks so untidy. At some times of the year, it does look untidy, but unless we rewild, the issue is with all the chemicals we use, with all the nitrates, the artificial feeders that that we use, we're not leaving much food for the bugs. And if we don't have the bugs, we won't have food. If we don't have the bees, we won't have food. That's the trade-off. That's the Sophie's choice, I know. But I want the manicured lawns. I want the stones to have no weeds coming up through them. Neil, Neil, (laughs) Neil. I'm a disaster. You don't want that in Port McGee. Yes, Oh, do. you don't. And in Douglas as well. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, perfect You'll be looking lawns. at my house like it's abandoned. There's no problem with a bit of perfection in the lawn in, in Douglas, let's say. <laughs> but if you leave half the lawn to go wild, you see, a lawn is an environmental desert. It does nothing for anybody other than you. It's nice and neat and it's all about man's, our control of nature and our wanting to impose order. But we've gone too far with it. Yeah. So all the soil is a seed bank. And there's incredible plants that want to grow. Want to come up. Exactly. Even rare Irish orchids. So if we keep cutting these plants before they flower, we've nothing for the insects to feed off. If we don't have bees, if we don't have butterflies, if we don't have creatures like that, be acting as pollinators. We just want our food. I know what you're saying. You're it's making a, such, such sense, I know. It's, a, it's as simple as that. So it's a balance. It's a trade-off. It's gone too far the other way. Too far about control. And yeah, our gardens will look messy at certain times of the year. We live in the most extraordinary country, though, to garden in. And as plants are setting seed, and the county councils uh, all around the country are really getting good at this, they're planting wildflower meadows, they have bulbs out very early, there's a succession of colours, but around this time of the year, nature does a job, and that's forming the seeds and then dropping the seeds. So there will be other things that will come up besides dandelions then? No. <laughs> There'll be, depending on your point of view, even more stuff. But we just have to uh, change our perceptions of what's good and what's bad. And we have to change our perception as of gardening as housework. 
and that things been neat and tidy is the be all and end all of everything because yeah, it's yeah. not. I consider myself admonished then. <laughs> Welcome back to Cork. Actually. I know you're on Lisa because you're going up to the Montanati Hotel. That's Have right. you been there yet? No. Well, yeah, only to drop one of the cars. Paul is with me here. Uh, one of the cars in the car park, but we came straight down here. The Victorian Garden there. I was there yesterday. They have three full-time gardeners up there now. Do they? Three full-time. So I've just seen pictures of it and I know the elevation it's all, so I know the view that it has. absolutely stunning. And I can't wait to see it. And you know what they were telling me yesterday? When they were digging out all of the, the sunken gardens, which were like completely wild they dug them all back and they, because the house is like 250, 300 years old the oh. original house they found parts of the original garden and yeah. down in the lower end 250 years ago they were growing pineapples there's a whole story about pineapples uh, we can grow pineapples in this country but 250 years ago 200 years ago it would have been a sign if you could produce a pineapple from your estate it would have been a sign of how affluent you were, but also how scientifically learned you were, because they needed uh, 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 you needed gardeners with really great amount of information. But two hundred years ago, if the English market was in the city, you could probably go and rent one for the night and pretend you'd. That's it. right, because having a pineapple back then was a status symbol. It was like having a nine eleven Porsche in your driveway. It was, and you'd lay out, you'd invite all your mates and everybody you wanted to impress for dinner in the big drawing room and on a silver platter the centrepiece would be a pineapple. Oh, incredible, wasn't it? Yeah. And that's how pineapples became a symbol. You know the way you see pineapples on sculptures, sculptures and, and, and wooden buildings, porticos of like doors. That. So it's a sign of welcome. Um, it's a sign of showing off, i.e. we can grow pineapples on this estate, but also a sign of of welcome. We do this thing uh, on Instagram where we show people how, especially kids, how to grow pineapples from the rosette from the top of the pineapple Could you plant. grow one to eat it, though? Yeah, people have, even in this country, people have. Um, they're very new. It's hard to get them to strike. Avocados, we show people how to grow from the stone of an avocado pear. Very easy to grow a new plant as a house plant. With pineapples, it's harder, but there is a strike rate, and it's amazing when it does uh, take place. I mean, and there's a woman in Clontarf in Dublin who has seemingly brought one to fruition. I wonder what it tasted like. I wouldn't say great because <laughs> we'd need a lot of heat. You talked about avocado, and if you throw almonds into the mix, you know they're they're, they're given those, but they're both given an awful lot of grief to the planet, aren't they? The production of avocado I think and with almonds. the production uh, uh, of them, the mass production of them, I think uh, smashed avocado became a big thing in Australia and spread throughout the world. And yeah, but there's also the palm oil and uh, whatever. So everywhere you look, there's an issue. Yeah, but it's just the huge volume of water that's the being huge used. huge volume of water. Where I have a real problem is with cut flowers. So we all go out at Christmas and Valentine's Day and Mum's Day and Father's Day and we buy these bouquets, bouquets of flowers. Yeah. Which are, the flowers are probably grown in parts of Africa or Central America where the people really need the water. They're probably poured with chemicals to have... The ones that we have flowers. in the house, exactly. the bouquets that we have yeah. in the hall or the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All brought in. Now, there are some great hours. Actually, there's a man, Cork, there's a brilliant flower farm. Mags Reardon has a place called Bumblebee Flower Farm. And she will only grow native Irish stuff that is good for our environment. Um, that will be a host for, that will provide pollen for all, all So should people plants. be asking questions more? We're at the time where we are asking questions. So the change is certainly happening, whether it's about our use of plastics, whether it's about our use of artificial f- uh, feeds, weed killers or uh, flowers, yeah. 
That's amazing. Frozen. I could yeah. listen to you all day. I mean, well, uh, what, what, what I find really hard about this is, can you imagine the workers in Kenya going into these greenhouses or into these polytunnels or into these areas where the okay. perfect cut flowers are grown, seeing all the waters used there okay. and yet water being scarce. And we water our garden liberally, but if you look on Keeping Up With The Kardashians or whatever, if they go into palm strings in the middle of the day, everything is green. All the golf courses are green. We on the West cause the problems. They in the developing countries pay for the issue. Because I know that coffee is a big issue and that's why you have fair trade issues like with yeah. coffee but I wouldn't have thought flowers and things. I knew about avocados and almonds. I know of you know of the South American countries like Mexico where they have to bring water into villages in huge tankers because avocado and almond farms have diverted the rivers and they no longer get water in the villages. Absolutely. Years ago I went out with a charity to Kenya and my role there was to open a well. Um, slightly this white saviour thing, which I was uncomfortable yeah, with well at the time, it. and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. you learn more about it. But I remember going out, reading a copy of National Geographic, and it was talking about the, what's the mountain in Africa, that uh, Kilimanjaro, yeah. that the snows were melting, and there wouldn't be snow, and there wouldn't be water coming from that mountain, and then a couple of days later, here I am with all the villagers dancing around and whatever celebration. The women and children wouldn't have to walk for 10 miles every day yes. to bring water back to the villages. Yeah. But that water was coming from Kilimanjaro. Wow. And, you know, it is the rise in the temperature. The, yeah. Yeah. We hear a lot about the flooding. We get some effects. Raging of, fires all over the world. Terrible. I mean, we do uh, every night, myself and my friend do an Instagram broadcast, and we have people all around, gardeners all around the world, um, who come on and talk to us and send us messages. And it's very interesting to catch up. But I'd been out in Portland um, just about two years ago looking at tree houses. And in Portland, the weather would be very similar to here. They're in a heat dome at the moment where it's just unbearable. And the temperature, they've never seen anything like it. When are we going to get the message? So we all have little things to do. And we may think that, you know, letting the grass grow isn't it's a big nothing. Deal. It's insignificant. It helps. Yeah, I know. It, it helps. Know. It creates that awareness. I've great faith in the younger ones. The kids won't allow us to do any of these things in the future. They, they're becoming a lot more aware. I, I mean, cheap food is cheap food yeah. and of course that in itself becomes the industrialization of, of cheap food and then it yeah. has an impact on, yeah. on, on environment and also clothing as well, things yeah. like that. Clothing, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the food thing is amazing because when are we going to play pay a proper price for food I've been following when uh, people can afford to maybe Gavin well the, the food has never been cheaper food has never been yeah, in, but the in fresh terms stuff, of real though. terms and in, in terms of the fresh uh, stuff yeah I've been really inspired this year by a Cork operation. Have you heard of the Cork Rooftop Farm? Yeah, that's on the Cork, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So I love that idea and allotments and people doing things for themselves. Yeah. So there's a guy there, uh, uh, two youngsters, Brian and Ty, and they looked out the first week, I think it was, of lockdown. So March last year, and they said, we, let's do something because the business has shut up and uh, we're going to be stuck here for a little while. So they started off uh, deciding that they were going to do a little roof garden. And then and they decided actually it's far from little it's huge I've seen the photographs so Brian's dad had a premises for a florist thing or something like that they said let's start growing on the roof there and what they have done and now they're out of town in the market garden too what they have done is quite incredible and they've done everything properly without any interventions from chemicals or whatever yeah. they've built 
polytunnels on a uh, on a roof and they just show how easy it is of what well, we kind of are the food basket of the country Cork aren't we really I mean uh, I'm not well, just bigging it up because I'm from Cork but yeah, yeah well absolutely we've got it in spades haven't absolutely. we absolutely if you go just I was looking at uh, how far was it to Ballymaloo to see if I could get a <laughs> if you go down and see the fields around Ballymaloo the wheat growing there the, the barley the, it's I confused a wheat, a wheat field with the barley field there about a month ago in East Cork West Cork I got grief you wouldn't believe the grief that I should have known the difference me and the dog I put up on Instagram walking through a wheat field and I was oh, like you're some burke that's barley <laughs> yeah people wouldn't like that but it is amazing what we can grow the proper price of food I was looking at something yesterday uh, about young farmers in France and that was years ago They've just announced they're going to redo the Champs-Élysées and uh, plant it up and make lovely gardens and reduce the amount of traffic. But 20 years ago, all the young farmers got together and they brought a farm to the centre of the city. Two million people turned out. This was their way of protesting, of letting people brought know the farm that to so the many people... The farm to the city. Ah, yeah, but... It was we, quite an extraordinary spectacle. Yeah, yeah but it won't be Cork. We have 350,000 euro robot trees now. I know, beat that though put I that know, in your pipe and smoke it I know I haven't I haven't seen and that. apparently they're close to useless well I don't know they monitor the weather and there's a moss farm in there so it does absorb some carbon but if you think amount of the amount of trees you could plant for which trap carbon for years and years and I years. I just don't get which, it uh, yeah they're great for spending money what did they spend on your hanging garden was it the million I have you gone to visit it incidentally? I did, yeah. When? I, I, I did go down to visit it uh, soon after it opened um, to see what it was like. That was, that was it was, for it was, me, ad- it was, it was my, adapted. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't get involved with it. I didn't believe what was happening after a certain type of uh, uh, time. And certainly a million or nothing, nothing like it came towards the garden we brought to the Chelsea Flower Show. Because yours one hung like a t- like an eye. Ours was, that's right. It was a flying garden and it was the idea that from Cork we would bring something to London to say, come and have a look. Now, luckily... Outside Ireland didn't get any of the negative press and people just saw it. The garden did very well. It won the gold medals. It won the people's choice and it did give a good impression of this country. And they brought the garden back and other landscape architects adapted it and planted it up. And I think it's probably done very well um, where, where it is out there. But for me, it was definitely a lesson and a challenging <laughs> episode. <laughs> very diplomatically, diplomatically put. <laughs> so you're heading to the Montanati because there's this super duper. I'm way ahead of you. I've seen, I saw it all yesterday. Oh, lunch there, they, saw the sculpture. They, 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 they were yeah. putting it up and putting the sculptures so up. 43 pieces of sculpture, 18 artists. I think it's the third or fourth year that this is Ireland's largest outdoor sculpture exhibition. I've just looked at the catalogue. I've been following a guy, Donica Cahill, who's about five or six pieces uh, down there. Uh, and it looks absolutely brilliant. And with the weather we have today, it's going to be launched by the Lord Mayor tonight. And we can't wait to go and be in attendance. And of course, it is celebrating Irish culture, art, design. And isn't it great to see people gathering together outside in a safe environment and enjoying uh, creativity. Oh, absolutely. And these gar- the gardens are, at- they'll blow your mind. I can't wait. I'd say, they've got- I'd say there's three nervous gardeners up there now awaiting so your arrival. So I know arrival. they have a wall garden, they have a wild garden and they have a forest walk. And the fabulous fountain is the focal, uh, point, the focal in the point in the middle. And it's all tiered yeah. right up to the hotel yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then alongside it, they've just built and opened this glasshouse bar. 
it's the most amazing thing. It's oh, like maybe something that's where we're having our cocktails. Yeah, it, it's a cocktail bar. Oh, it's like good. something from Raffles is in it? Singapore. Singapore. Well, uh, and of course you have a, a view that's better than Raffles. Oh my, that's why they built a house there originally, I guess, because uh, the view. Is a, it must be amazing. Oh, it's yeah. incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, the sculpture exhibition and the gardens are open to the public from tomorrow? Uh, from from tomorrow, they're open for, I think it's about f- uh, five or six weeks, which is going to be absolutely brilliant. And this is just a great sign of, of, of hope. And hopefully, we'll enjoy an Indian summer. People will really get well, to yeah, enjoy I mean, it's great weather. It yeah. really is. Um, yeah. There's there's a greenway issue down, down the Kerry Way. You're aware of that there's a Kerry snail there that's holding up yeah, the, pa- so the, the pathway? Yeah, so the greenways have been very successful around the country. I remember I did a programme, uh, uh, Tracks and Trails, years ago with my little one when she was very, very little and we got the bicycles and we went on the Mayo Greenway, there's been a, uh, which is just extraordinary for families. It was the first one in the country. Then there's been a new one down by Waterford, which has worked very well. And now... And we've got, and we've got the city one that will go from the Quays all the way, literally, down to Passage West and Monkstown and in other cases, another rail track. That will take it across Avon and Cargilline. How people are embracing this idea. But wh- whose side should we be on, the snail or the greenway? I, I, I think there will be ways around this. Now, I've, I've, there's been a slug who's been holding up progress in a project we're doing for the National Trust in New, Newcastle. In, uh, whose side in are you on, the slug? And there's been a newt has been causing a different problem. A slug, a newt, and a snail. I think. <laughs> These greenways, they slow down life. They make people aware of their environment. So I think I'd be... A, that trail that that greenway is going to go through in Kerry is amazing. It's the old it's, railway line through and Kells. And you, you know that aqueduct very near Kells yeah. that'll go down. It'll go all the way down into Carisavine. I'm for the people. <laughs> the, slugs, the, the slugs eat my lupins. So I'm for the people. <laughs> Crazy guy. <laughs> okay, listen, one tip then you get, people listening to the radio. Give them one tip for okay. their garden. One tip, come to our garden festival <laughs> in Bannon Skellig's 10th, 11th and 12th of... It's a gathering. We do an Instagram broadcast between 7pm and 8pm on at D- Dermot Gavin every night. So one tip, come to our garden uh, festival for three days or for one day. We're getting together about 12 different speakers from all sorts of areas, from Cork and Kerry and beyond, to tell them about gardening. We developed this community all around the world with people coming from Africa, from America. We're gathering in open marquees and uh, for a series of events down in, in Balanskelix. That would be my tip and... Let your grass grow. Let your, <laughs> let your grass grow and get to balance Gellings. I'll let you get off to the Montanali. Great to great see, to see you. you. You're looking you, great, kid. You're looking fit. The great Dear McGavin. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. Dennis. Speaking. It's your old buddy, old pal, Neil Prendival. How are you keeping? I just said I wanted to check in to see how you're getting on after day three of your five-day walk. I tell you now, uh, Neil, it's eight kilometres, right? Yeah. Do you know, you know uh, Ballycorrig? I don't, actually, nor do I know the pub there, Smart Spar. You know Liz Gould? Ah, oh, well, I know Liz Gould, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, the, the, the pub is up, Smart's pub. Yeah. It's up from that. Yeah. So I start from Smart Pub, out to lane, 96262, right? Right. Which is eight kilometres. Four out and four back. How long is it taking you? 
two hours, an hour out, an hour back. And how are you managing in this ferocious heat at the age of 87 and know, a half? I never felt better in my life today than today. It's amazing, isn't it? Do you bring a bottle uh, of water with you? Well, I have my phone definitely, yeah, but my my step is only a step every second, right? Yeah, that's and fast. The, the walk that I'm doing now for the five days will amount to... 40 kilometers. Amazing, isn't it? I know you said right. that you bring your mobile phone with you, but it's actually oh, a bottle. It, yes, no, I no, have. it's a bottle of water you need with you. Oh, I have, I have all that. But I never felt better than I did today. Isn't that amazing? Whether it's after the two walks or what, I don't know. And you must be sleeping like a baby after, are you? No, I have to take sleeping tablets to go to sleep. I took two days at 12 o'clock. <laughs> And I walked this morning at 7 o'clock. You have too much energy, man. <laughs> I, th- I think so. <laughs> well, it's great. Uh, it's great. I, and, I, do you, and you know when you finish, no, do you stop? Neil, I tell you, no. Today, I didn't mind walking back because I was singing all the songs to myself coming back, you know. <laughs> and no sound, no right. But I was thinking of people in the nursing homes. Yeah, I was no. saying, how lucky I am to be out under the sun and able to walk. Oh, my God. It's great to I give thanks. I did now. 87. We mustn't forget the 87 and a half. The half is very important. I'd be 88 to 13 to be a pearl next year. And do you drop into do you drop into Smart's Bar for a bottle of orange or anything after the well, walk? It's closed now with the lockdown there. I know, I know. Did you not? Yeah, yeah. And te- there was a few outside the pub there around three weeks ago, and I was out to do the walk. <laughs> and... I just passed in the car, so I might as well go back to the bar. There's about 12 of them there now. I know all. I know the lot of them, you know? Yeah. So, uh, look, I said I'd sing a song before I go. <laughs> and uh, I, I sung, uh, uh, Love, this is my song, right? <laughs> and I finished the song from the way car and with the way. Because you, you were telling me last time that you have well over... I'd say over 300 songs that go back 250 years and you, know every, you yeah. know every single line of them well, in your one, head. There's one, I have 25 songs up my brain <laughs> and I know every word of <laughs> And I go to the cemetery every Sunday morning. To your wife? Oh, with my wife. Yeah. And there's no Sunday morning that I go over that I will sing 10 songs or 20 songs. Oh my God. Isn't she spoiled with the different songs that every week? That's a fact, no. That's a fantastic that's no lies. So, you know, as Judy said, if you're telling the truth, you don't have to think. I know, I know, I know. But And listen, what I want to know is, you know, with the, with the walking and everything, are, are you getting the odd people blowing the horn and saying hello and supporting you? No, it's the quiet, one of the quietest roads in Ireland, I'd say. <laughs> I'd say there was in four cars past me today. And why did you come up with this idea to uh, walk well, 40 kilometres from Maryland? I read it on the paper, I don't know how long ago it is, maybe six months ago, that Marymount were not short of funds. Marymount, yeah. Yeah, and you decided to raise money for Marymount, and Emma Sheehan is your niece, is she? Yes, that's 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 the reason. Oh, yeah. the most, most, and the fact that I love that walk is that the ball ping is on that road. Are you? And s- it's a very quiet road. I, I I know you're I know you're a big bowl f- f- bowl playing fan. Are you still going bowling? Oh yes, I, I, Neil. If I tell you something, oh, you hardly believe me. <laughs> I was out seven days and seven nights during the virus. You never. You told me that you did. You went to Mayo, I think, for a score, didn't you? I went to Mayo, and I went to Mayo again in June. June gone out. <laughs> so, 
So when there uh, was checkpoints... The weekend in the, the six counties right. was the June Sunday, or Sunday. And I went up to the, I went up to the Cathedral Road. The bowling no, was on the Cathedral Road. No lockdown, no virus, no checkpoint. No, no. Stopped I Dennis stopped, O'Callaghan. I stopped by the law loads of times. <laughs> what did you say to them? And they still let me go through. Did they? <laughs> Did you I ever? The truth about what I was doing, you know. Yeah. Did you ever throw uh, a bowl? Did you ever throw a bowl, though? Pardon? Did you ever throw a bowl? Oh, I did when I was my young days. So they, during the war, forty-four, forty-two, forty-three, forty-four, forty-five. Yeah. There was nothing in the north side. Only dogs and bagels and bowling. Dogs, bagels, and bowling. And, like. and you were telling me the last time poverty as well. Oh, death on third world. My God, my that God! That was a total. world. I'm writing, I'm writing my, my story from up to fourteen years of age. I think you should, I have Dennis. Fifty pages written at the moment. I think 50. you should. Yeah, yeah. I think you should. And you I think, know, and I'd uh, say you'll finish it because you have you have fierce discipline. You know. Well, my grandsons are on to me all the time. You know, and I can go back to things like that happened about seventy-five years ago or more. Isn't it amazing? Yeah, yeah. My memory is perfect. Yeah, yeah. The only thing is always been on here is that I overheat. Yeah, should we all do? In the winter. Yeah, we all do. Yeah, should look. You know, as long as the brain, as long as the brain and the. Yeah. No one's sitting down here now. I'm on fire. Yeah, have a you know what athletes do? They have an ice bath. Yeah, well, <laughs> you love old days. <laughs> <laughs> I, I when I'm only open, I'm grand. No problem. <laughs> I know. I'll drive in the car, leave the windows down, and I'm fine. I know, I know. And yeah, are, so you, are you aware? I'm lucky that way. Are you, are you, my brain is okay. My sight is grand. Well, my hearing is not great, but doing me fine, you know? Listen, you're getting out of bed in the morning, you're putting one foot ahead of the other and you're walking 40 kilometres this week. You sound as if you're in fairly good nick to me. Are you aware of the amount of money that's being raised already? It's gone three times above the the target of we 500. Have, uh, I think there's about 2,000 already anyway. Four times. You know? Yeah. And uh, with your help now, yeah. I said, I'm saying it all the time, without your help on the radio, you're brilliant. Ah, uh, don't be silly. I'm only my job. for... You, your would be oh, we're going to drive it on now for the next couple of days. Come here, we had a great chat the last time. Did you enjoy that? Did your buddy say oh, it to you? Oh, I did, immensely. Yeah. It was great fun, just reminiscing, wasn't uh, it? Oh, I did. I did enjoy that. As a matter of fact, blokes from Skibbereen, Dingle, <laughs> Castellon Bear, Bantry, Skibbereen, you name it. Came over to me. There's no one can sing a song or tell a story like Dennis O'Callaghan, you know, that's a fact. Yeah, well, I love singing. Are you still going I to the... Sing anywhere. Are you still going to the nursing homes to sing? If I can get into nursing homes. I only got into two nursing homes in the last 12 months. It's hard, yeah. It's hard for everybody. You know the reasons why. Yeah. You know the reasons why. But uh, two of my friends, I can't get to them. One in Oak Lodge down outside in Churchill South. Yeah. And one in Kramer's Court. Do you talk to him on the phone? No. Because they're not great, like, you know. Uh, I know, I know. Face to face is better. Face to face sparks the memories, doesn't it? That's better, like, you know. I know, I know. Uh, so you have two more days, well, Thursday and Friday. I have two more days, and I'm looking forward to it. Isn't it, isn't it great that it's not cold, nor windy, nor wet? It doesn't matter, I'd be out now. <laughs> if it rains, I'll walk in the rain. <laughs> you know, did, did you ever hear a Major Tom in England? 
Major Tom, do you remember him? They gave him a knighthood. He was walking Ooh, around. Yes, his, yes, yes, Remember yes. him? He's walking. He died the Morris Fortune. He was a lot older than you. He was 100. And he was walking yes. around his garden for weeks well, and weeks on a Zimmer frame. Well, Neil, I hope I live a bit longer, but I don't want to go to a nursing home. It depends on the staff. You could have a nursing home out your back. It depends on the staff. staff. Yeah, yeah. It does. It does. It's the yeah. staff that counts, Neil. Yeah. Not the beautiful nursing home, right? They're like hotels. But it's the kindness and the gentleness and the care of the staff that's important. Well, yeah. if you have nature, if you have a bit of nature for people, yeah, that's all you need. And I have that. I'm not. A, I'm not. A, I don't against any religion or any color. Yeah, yeah. I speak to anybody. Just over the last week, now I spoke to two people from the Czech Republic. Yeah, it's a young bloke with his two kids and his wife. They went into. He went. She went into the supermarket. He sat down. I was inside my car eating ice cream, and he sat down right in front of me, okay? And I counted a dozen people walked past him without opening their mouth for him. Without saluting I, him? I see him open the door, got out. I asked him, you're a stranger in paradise, I said. <laughs> he says, yeah, I am. Listen to this now. He says, yeah, I am. So where are you from? Czech Republic, he said. I said, are you working? He said, I am. Are you even hearing in Shannon? Yes, he said. I said, where are you working? He said, I'm working in a boot factory up in Churchfield. Yeah. And I said to him, that's where I spent my childhood, I said. You grew up there, yeah. Before Nocturne and Churchfield were built. Or Hollyhill. There was a farm up there, Kingston's, and Fowler Flynn's house is still standing. Yeah, yeah. There were all borings around there, that time, small yeah. little borings, you know? Yeah. And all bogland. And that's where I spent my childhood. And there's a coincidence now. He's walking up in Trussfield. And did he appreciate the little chat? He did. He did. He was delayed with me. His wife, I, 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 what I should have done, I should have went into the shop and borrowed two ice creams for the two kids. <laughs> that's oh, right. You know, two coins, you know? Yeah, you're amazing. You know, and, uh, Jesus, mercy, thanks. When they pulled away, I thought of it. Christ, is eh? I should have bought ice creams for the kids. Two kids. I yeah. speak to anybody. I sing and have. I was asked to sing a song. I sing anywhere. And when you asked, when I'm you, not a great singer, but I have good songs. I know you are a great singer. When you said to him he was a stranger in paradise, did you give him a couple of verses of "Stranger in Paradise"? I'm a stranger I, I in you paradise. Know, I, no, Neil, it happened so quick. If I stayed there long enough for him, I'd, I'd definitely would have bought something for the kids anywhere. You have a soft heart, Dennis. Well, I, I'd say that definitely. It's standing to me now. It is, isn't it? Yeah. I can drive, I can walk, I can walk, I can sing. And you're happy out. And not a worry in the world. If you're reminiscing about the old days, and I know your beautiful wife passed away and you go out to the grave, but would all of, would many, would most of your friends be, have, be gone now as well at this stage? Oh, yes, all my school friends. I think there's only one alive so far, you know. But they're all, they're all dead now. You know? And how does that make you feel? You're the last one standing. Well, I feel very, I, I feel very lucky, you know, that I had a good wife, perfect wife, beautiful looking wife, and I must send her a photograph, but she was the greatest woman born, you know. Stunning, I'd uh, say, was she? We were married for nearly 60 years. I know. We were together 62 or 63 years, you know. But uh, as I say, I'm enjoying life now. 
don't just take hours out for putting another ten I years know, on to it. I know, I know. And you, will you stop at forty? Are you going to stop on Friday? Well, I said Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, <laughs> but today, you know, I could have walked an extra two kilometers. <laughs> You know, and a big dinner uh, then is it? Do you have a big I'm dinner after it? Neil, I'm speaking over two hours with a break of seven minutes first on Monday, ten minutes yesterday, and ten minutes today. Well done. Well done. A two-hour walk. Well done. Well, let's get the let's get the GoFundMe up as much as we can be between now and Friday. It's the well, forty. I'd be delighted. I'd be delighted. Ah, yeah, and yeah. I'm very, very grateful. Not Thank at all. Not at all. It's the forty kilometer dash by Dennis in aid of Marymount Hospice on okay. GoFundMe. Well, it's equivalent to uh, over twenty five miles. Chalk it down. In this heat, you could. It's equivalent to nearly double it. So the heat's a killer. Yeah. So in fairness to you, well Hopefully. done, well done. All right. And I'd be delighted with that. Okay, all right, listen, yeah. uh, I'll chat with you again when it's all over, okay? But are you going to give us a blast of a song like uh, Lily of the Lamplight or Stranger in Paradise or something like What have you got for me? Uh, my lovely Rose and you. Did you ever hear that? No, but I mightn't be great on the title, right. but I might know the old melody okay. like. My lovely rose has lost its crimson gown And autumn leaves have tumbled over town The skies have changed its shade of blue And I have lost my lovely rose and you but someday soon the clouds will roll away And spring will bring another lovely day And like a miracle come true i wait to find my lovely rose you. <laughs> well done, Dennis. Well done. Every single song you sing is word perfect. Congratulations nice on words. that. Beautiful song. Yeah, beautiful song. Lovely, I have lovely song. And you'll be backing them soon when all this and is I over. Think people to sing. When I go into a nursing home, right, the first thing I do is say, I'm here, I have a sing song. And if there's a chorus, what I normally do is to call from there and say, oh, together, no. <laughs> and they nearly get all their cheers to sing. Because <laughs> they remember all the songs. But you... Yeah, s- but you, but li- listen... People with dementia, you know. I know. They be surprised. C- and there's some beautiful singers. Isn't it amazing? The people with dementia... I have a small yeah. little, t- the small little uh, microphone that it brings in. Into the, the home, you know. Isn't it amazing yeah. that a lot of people who are suffering with memory loss can remember songs when they hear them being sung? Oh, definitely, yes, without a doubt, yes. All right, my but man. That's what I enjoy, that's what I enjoy about nursing. And keep before. singing, keep walking. I'd say you have a big dinner after the walk, do you? Well, I don't eat much. <laughs> I don't eat much, No? But I, I tell you, no, this is the answer making me weak, you know, speaking to you. You're the greatest. You're the greatest. Let's get as much money into the GoFundMe as we can. And we'll chat again, Dennis, all right? Hopefully, bye. Ah, okay. we will, for Thanks sure. Thank you very much again, and all your family. All right, Dennis. Cheers, my man. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you, bye. God bless. 
Dennis O'Callaghan keeps stealing the show. He's just an incredible individual. I have a great time for him. And he's walking every day this week uh, over a five-day period. Today is day four. And by Friday, he will have walked the 40 kilometres uh, for Marymount. And if you want to contribute in your own way and support a wonderful man and the people at uh, Marymount, you can do so. It's the fundraiser that's put together by his niece, Emma Sheehan. It's called 40 Kilometer Dash by Dennis in aid of Marymount Hospice. And he is just uh, 87 and a half years old and going strong. Wonderful guy. Great time for him. Lines to stay open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You can text 0868104106. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.